Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 82. 82. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Eggy Raygun. Chris, what happened <laughs> with Sweeney in your kitchen? Saw a tweet from another one of our mutual friends. Yeah. Derek. <laughs> <laughs> about what was happening here in your kitchen. Talk to me a little bit about this. Oh, yeah. No, so we were recording uh, the second episode of the Snark Tank podcast. And we finished and we were just fucking around and Sweeney went to the kitchen. He tried to... He attempted to make himself food so he could continue oh. to survive on this rock of ours. Right. And somehow managed to spill an, an entire, like, 32 eggs on the ground at once. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was confused about. I was like, how many eggs is Sweeney making? It seemed like it was a like a dozen eggs on the ground. Dude, it was he, was, a, he was reaching for chicken and somehow spilled like a hundred eggs. So he was breading. He was like, you know, soaking and breading the chicken. Is that I, the? I don't know. I don't know what the hell he was doing. Me and Derek were just talking. And then I look over into the kitchen and Sweeney's just caked in eggs. Yeah, that was that was good stuff. I enjoyed that. Go check that out on Twitter if you guys and gals out there listening are on Twitter. I know many of you are. And go support Chris's show, Snark Tank. 
which he does with a couple of his friends. Comedy Indeed. show. It's like, is that how you would kind of describe it? Comedy? Yeah, I would. Current I events. Would, I would say so. It's like a little bit of current events, a little bit of uh, a little bit of. Com- it's it's definitely comedy focused. Like we we I think this second episode's like pretty much all about comedians and a bunch of like a mere it's it's really current events and general kind of conversational it's fun okay very good well go go support chris if you enjoy him on the show i know many of you do some of you don't but many of you do (laughs) okay chris uh for the uninitiated sacred symbols is our weekly playstation podcast you can obviously find it on podcast services, but if you want to support us and get it three days early and ad free, you can go to patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where you can also sign up for our supplemental podcast only for CLS patrons called Sacred Symbols Plus. You can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas, get your name in the credits at the end, etc. You can go to, again, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for more on that or just go to CollinsLastStand.com. It'll give you all of the requisite links, linkage, as it were, yeah. and uh we appreciate your support out there. We're almost at. Let me see here. I mean, we're kind of creeping up on like 8000 patrons. That's insane, which is nuts. And, uh, you know, the most popular tier is actually the five dollar a month tier. That's where you get all the ad free and early access to the podcast and the ability to submit your questions and the exclusive podcast and stuff like that. But we appreciate any tier that you can support us at. And if you don't have the inclination to do so, if you don't have the money to do so, etc., please continue to enjoy the show for free. And remember, you can even make your own merchandise for free if you don't want to buy our merch. You can Google around about that as well. We have our high res logos out there. I saw a video, Chris, making the rounds from this Twitch streamer, Bad Bunny. Did you see this? No. She was like complaining in, I guess, multiple streams that people are not paying her enough, I guess, to oh, yeah, 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 make yeah. her content. I did see that. I found that a little cringy. I mean, we we obviously joke around about the freeloaders. I don't really know what to call them anymore. I think they wanted to be called scallywags now, but yeah. we, it's not 18th century England. They wanted cheapskates, but we cheapskates. we we settled on scallywags. Scallywags, correct? Okay, you're absolutely right. And so uh, yeah, we we obviously need your support to do our show, but I don't want it to ever come out as a prerequisite that you need to be a paying subscriber in order to enjoy the content because. We get smaller perks financially for people watching on YouTube and people uh, listening and, and supporting our advertisers, whatever the case might be. So I just uh, I wanted to throw that out there because uh, your support is vital, but it's certainly not like necessary if you can't afford it or don't have the inclination to do it. Yeah. I listen. I support some people online and then I listen to things for free, too. So to each his own. I just wanted to th- throw that out there and thank everyone uh, for their kindness. As uh, Chris, I don't know if you saw we've uh, retaken the banner of number one PlayStation podcast. On iTunes. I did. We are right back where we belong. Right back where we belong. <laughs> That's so cool. So thank you for that as well. And thank you for all the kind reviews, by the way. You guys have been leaving tons of nice reviews for us lately. That's a really good way to support us, too, if you're on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, to just leave us nice reviews. Recommend us to your friends and family. And do whatever feels good. I want you to do in your life whatever feels good at all times. Okay? Yeah. Nothing wrong with a little hedonism. I don't know if that's good advice, really, but... Probably not. Chris, Sacred Symbols Plus last week was a solo episode I did all about E3. We went into the history of Sony at E3 and why they're not going to be there. We're going to talk a little bit more more about E3 because we weren't able to get Chris's take on this. We'll do that in a little while, but I just wanted to throw out that that is out there. What should we do this week? I don't really have any ideas. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. Should we do something about the... the, We're going to talk about all the delays today. That's what a lot of the show is going to be about. Maybe we could do something about like just the... 2020 releases we're most excited about did we do that yet i don't think we did that yet no i don't think so we could could, yeah maybe we can do that well let us know on twitter if you want all right chris let's get into all this nonsense that the audience has sent us on patreon (laughs) okay patreon.com slash collins last and these scallywags 
and cheapskates, but not freeloaders. Can't be a freeloader. And submit any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. Wes, Wes Hudson wrote in, Chris. He says, Colin, longtime fan since the early Beyond days. For years, I have listened to you talk about your love of Hellman's mayonnaise. That's, of course, known as best mayonnaise west of the Rockies. And every single time I thought, that boy sure is missing out. Duke's is way better. I'm so glad you have finally wised up and gotten with the program. Thanks for a great show. I look forward to every episode. So, Chris, I've I mean, this is one of the great betrayals of all time in the history of mankind. You think so? I have I have betrayed Hellman's mayonnaise and I am now a Duke's fan through and through. Love the Duke's mayonnaise. Love it. Is it one of those like Coke and Pepsi things where like you could really probably only tell if you're like really, you know, like submerged in the mayonnaise culture? Probably. I feel because it's another we talked about Coke and Pepsi, I think, last week. And I said that I could look I could just look at Coke and Pepsi in a glass and tell you which one is which based on the color. Nonetheless, the taste. And I could do the same with Dukes because Dukes is not as congealed, let's say. Right. As Hellman's mayonnaise. Are you a mayonnaise fan? I actually don't recall. I will accept mayonnaise mm. into my home and I will show it a cordial day. You know, I'll be kind right. and courteous. Right. Uh, but I wouldn't call it on the weekend and see what it was doing. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. I appreciate that candor. Yeah. Because, you know, what I'm a little disturbed about with mayonnaise culture, let's let's call it mayonnaise culture, <laughs> is that. I go to these restaurants like there's this really great burger place I go to in Richmond now as I try to find a social life in some way. And they have, you know, aioli, which is just mayonnaise. Yeah, it's just mayonnaise. Why don't you just call it mayonnaise? Why do you have to call it aioli? It's like you got the fries. You get two aiolis with this. And I'm like, I'd like the garlic aioli. But really, it's just mayonnaise. I don't understand why we have to pretend that this thing is French, more French than necessary. Nothing should be more French than absolutely necessary. I think we can <laughs> yeah. all agree about that. Well, I mean, French yep. fries aren't even oh. French at all, are they? No, they're freedom fries. Of yeah. course, as we would all recall after 9-11 and uh, French toast. I don't know if French toast is really French. I love French toast. Oh, it's, Big fan. it's amazing. Big fan. Oh, you could put a little vanilla extract in it. Oh, holy moly. OK, what are we talking about? Alex Sargent. Wrote in with Chris. He says, hey, CNC, the question is for Chris. Ooh. Are you currently on vacation in England? Either that or you have a British doppelganger. I live in Bristol and jolly old England, and I could have sworn that you cycled past me while I was out on my lunch break. What you were doing on a bike in England, I have no idea. But the guy looked exactly like you down to your incredibly elegant chin. I did a triple take. I was nearly 100 percent convinced it was you. Have you been to England in the last week? Or if not, are you planning to? If so, we should definitely go for some tea and crumpets sometime. Anyway, love the podcast, and I've been a fan since the beginning. Please show your fans in the UK some love. We always show our fans in the UK some love, you fucking lobsterbacks. Stop being so demanding. <laughs> lobsterbacks. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Were you in England in the last week? <laughs> no, no, no. I uh, th- Your first clue should have been the fact that I was cycling. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> which, uh, you know, unless I'm, you know, unless I'm with, unless I'm on some kind of date and I'm trying to, like, impress on some base level. Uh, right. You're never you're not going to see me cycling. No, uh, you're never going to see that. But no, I I mean, I plan on going to the UK at some point. I have like a couple friends there who are content creators. I have, I think my best friend ever lives in the UK. I, I've actually never met him in person, but we've known each other for, oh, my God, since like 2006 or something. Is this the guy you used to play Halo with? Yeah, this guy yeah. you used to play Halo with. I think he was one of my first subscribers ever. I think he was like subscriber number four or something. And uh yeah, so I, I definitely plan on going to the UK at some point. But I have friends in like Wales and I forget I forget the weird 
name of the town that my other friend's in. But yeah, I definitely plan on making a trip over to that uh, to that section of the earth. To that region. Yeah. yeah. Well, we love the UK here on Sacred Symbols and we're wishing you all well. Of course, when the election happened and I congratulated you guys a few weeks ago on the election, some people didn't like that. But other than that, we love we love our British fans very much and uh, we appreciate you. And we thank you for all of your love and your kindness you send to us. And uh, yeah, uh, you're not going to see Chris on a bike. So yeah, no, it wasn't him. <laughs> if it was Chris, like, I don't know, doing something fucking weird. I don't even I can't even think of anything right now, now that I'm on. I've put myself on the spot. What you're would Chris more, be doing you're definitely England? more likely to see me on like a scooter or something that'll like get mm. me places without me having to put too much effort into things. Yeah. Right. You know, right. like uh, a scooter's nice because you just got to find it like an area that's if you're if you find pavement that's like headed downhill. You know, that's you're just standing, essentially. That's a, that's exactly right. And I, I am, I'm totally with you there. It's so weird being out of L.A. now and not being inundated with bird scooters everywhere and yeah. lime scooters like you're, I, I mean, I, I was almost killed on numerous occasions by <laughs> by people on scooters like no, no joke about it. And I was one of those very towny, you know, sidewalk yellers where I'd be like, get off the sidewalk. <laughs> but. You know, no one, no one ever listened. I can I really vividly old. imagining you careening into the sun after colliding with a with a, a little a little boy on a bird scooter. Yeah, like I just go into the atmosphere and I just slowly turn into like a little bling yeah, star, it's, it's, like yeah, in a cartoon. Like, yeah, like Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly like Pokemon. Uh, Ryan Carrick wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, I need your opinion on Wawa. As a Philadelphian, it is just one of the great institutions around. Could always go for a nice turkey sub from Wawa. By the way, it's sub, not hoagie. Fuck those people. It's actually hero. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. But uh, Chris, do you have any opinions on Wawa? Because I happen to be a massive Wawa fan. Massive. Yeah, no. Wawa's is great. Like I, oh, I went there it. like I think only twice, but I think both occasions were pretty, pretty stellar. What's so special about it is that when you order a sandwich there, the sandwiches, first of all, like the food, the breakfast, it's all really good, but you don't have to talk to anyone. You just use the little computer terminal and you make exactly what you want and then you just take it and you go and you don't have to speak to anybody. It's great. Yeah, Love it. it's great. That's what uh, there's a Shake Shack that's down the street from my place currently that does kind of the same thing. And it's like it's wonderful. Oh, I love Shake Shack. Love Shake Shack so much. Really, really good. Do you like Shake Shack more than five guys? No, I don't like. Yeah, th- no, no, no. But they're chicken. Yeah. The, the, I like their little chicken bites that are always that are always like two million degrees Celsius. <laughs> it's insane. Like how hot those things down. are. Those things are so hot and they get and they stay hot for hours. It's stupid. The steam can't escape the the breading or whatever, probably yeah. some, of some, something of this nature. It's the secret. I love Shake Shack. I was so disappointed because there was a Shake Shack in L.A. or there is one in L.A.X. And then when Virgin America, because I always fly Virgin slash Alaska now. And when Virgin sold to Alaska, they moved terminals. And now they have like this garbage terminal with no Shake Shack in it anymore. And it was a little bit disappointing, to be perfectly honest. But. And that's why I don't fly anymore. Bruno <laughs> Moyaho wrote into us. I wonder if he is Hawaiian. It sounds like he might be. He says, hey, Coke sniffing Colin and crackhead Chris. Wow. He went Jeez. there. He went there. In last week's episode, you asked if someone just listens to your shows over and over again to fill the 40 hour work week. The answer is yes. That is exactly what I do. Bruno's a psychopath. I think. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Hey, man, you know, like people got to kill time. Man, I can think of many other things you can do than listening to the show over and over again. It's, I mean, it's kind of like you're, it's kind of like listen. You ever listen to a song and you're like, "Wow, I really like the song." And you just kind of listen to it a lot. Oh yeah, maybe it's like All that. Maybe he can recite entire episodes. Yeah, like, like that's, he's lip syncing. 
That's interesting. I, I do that with a lot of songs. I get really into like 10 songs at a time. Yeah. And just listen to them over and over again. And then I'll move on to the next thing and so on. Yeah. I do, so the, I do the exact same thing. Sy- been listening to a lot of System of a Down lately, which I hadn't listened to in, in years. Great band. Very good yeah. band. Brian R. Hansen wrote in. Maybe if, maybe he's Chris Hansen's uh, son. <laughs> By the way, Chris Hansen making like some sort of storming comeback on YouTube. It's awesome. Yeah. It's been, he's like, <laughs> it is really beautiful. I love uh, I, I have a morbid appreciation with To Catch a Predator. Oh, it's great. Dude, To Catch a Predator is great. Yeah. I mean, I think we could all agree that that is one of like the greatest shows ever made. Yeah. And <laughs> that his YouTube channel is called. Uh, I think his YouTube channel is called. Isn't it called like um, Take a Seat with Chris Hansen or something, which is awesome. I think so. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> what a great phrase. <laughs> you want some sweet tea? All right. <laughs> Jeez. Brian R. Hansen wrote in and said, Hey, CNC, I was listening to the last episode and the question of what a fuckboy is came up. I normally let these things slide, but for whatever reason, this piqued my interest. And by the way, congratulations, Brian, for using the proper form of peaked. Yeah. P-I-Q-U-E-D. This comes straight from the reputable source of Urban Dictionary. I love Urban Dictionary. A fuckboy is, quote, a guy with the body of a man and the mind of a perverted teenager. He has no heart, just a penis that he uses to paint the town. End quote. Enjoy. I didn't know that that's what that meant. Yeah. So, so it's basically like, would that be considered the male equivalent of slut? I guess. I guess so. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've never had a who's ever really had a problem with the word slut. I don't know. You know? I, I, I never really understood it. Yeah. I, 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 it's not a word I really ever threw around. Yeah, me neither. You know, because you got to do what you got to do. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter Holiday wrote into us and said, and this is, I swear to God, this is going to be the end of these random questions for now. Although a lot of people enjoy these and I kind of enjoy them too. Although I think a lot of you are getting very bold about some of the things you're sending in. Hunter Holiday wanted us to follow up on a thing we talked about last week when we talked about if murder was acceptable uh, over liking friends more than Seinfeld. We came to the conclusion that probably not, uh, but <laughs> it's an open-ended question. He says, hey guys, just an update on my brother. He's not dead. Thanks to your advice. I did what you guys suggested and attempted to have an adult conversation with him about the nature of why Seinfeld is unquestionably better than Friends. I mean, of course, it's so weird that this is even a question, but yeah, I came to the conclusion that he is most likely mentally impaired and I can't help but pity the guy. Thanks, guys. Well, I'm glad that you didn't. I mean, that would have been really bad if you killed a mentally impaired guy. (laughs) Yeah, no, that would. uh, You don't want to do that. That's like a double whammy at that point. Yeah, that's uh, that would be a hate crime, I think. So you don't want to do that. Uh, But I'm glad, you know, pacifism is good to each his own. Sometimes I can't account. I always say I can't account for people's bad taste. If you want to have bad taste, it's your it's your prerogative. Have bad taste. Yeah. Uh, what am I going to do about that? You know, some of you like friends more than Seinfeld. You have bad taste. That's yeah, fine. I can't. I can't even begin to relate to that at all. No, me neither. Me neither. Although. It seemed like a fun scenario that they all kind of lived in, right? They were across the hall from each other and they had the little picture frame around the peephole. And yeah, you know, I it mean, nice it's, and, it's, it's not a terrible show. I just don't, they're not even in the same fucking section of the atmosphere, in my opinion. Definitely not. Definitely not. And as we said last week, I think Friends really suffered in my mind just from following Seinfeld uh, when it was actually on TV, which many of you listening weren't even around for that because you're so fucking young and inexperienced in the ways of the world. But I think that it kind of suffered from that. And well, whatever the case might be, it really doesn't matter. This is a PlayStation podcast. And so we should probably talk about PlayStation. Now, Chris, as I said, Sacred Symbols Plus last week, I think it was episode 24 of Sacred Symbols Plus, was all about the history of Sony at E3 and what we thought of, or what I thought about uh, Sony not being there and yeah. 
all these different strategic questions that brought, were brought up, but people wanted to hear from you too. And so I also think it's really important that we don't isolate real news stories behind the paywall. So I want to just read what Sony had said about not being at E3 in 2020 and also what the ESA, the E3's organizer and owner had to say about it and then get your take on it. People already heard mine, but sure. let me read these aloud and then we'll go from there. Uh, so Sony said the following about being at E3 or lack thereof, I guess. Quote, after thorough evaluation, SIE has decided not to participate in E3 2020. We have great respect for the ESA as an organization, but we do not feel the vision of E3 2020 is the right venue for what we are focused on this year. We will build upon our global event strategy in 2020 by participating in hundreds of consumer events across the globe. Our focus is on making sure fans feel part of the PlayStation family and have access to play their favorite content. We have a fantastic lineup of titles coming to PlayStation 4. And with the upcoming launch of PlayStation 5, we are truly looking forward to a year of celebration with our fans, end quote. And then the ESA responded. They had this response written because this thing was up like 10 minutes later. By the way, they don't even mention Sony in this, which I think is interesting. Quote, E3 is a signature event celebrating the video game industry and showcasing the people, brands and innovations, redefining entertainment loved by billions of people around the world. E3 2020 will be an exciting high energy show featuring new experiences, partners, exhibitor spaces, activations and programming that will entertain new and veteran attendees alike. Exhibitor interest in our new activations is gaining the attention of brands that view E3 as a key opportunity to connect with video game fans worldwide. Chris, what do you think of all of this? I mean, I get it. I think this strategy is pretty in keeping with what PlayStation has been doing for a while now. Uh, they've just been kind of going their own way. I do question whether or not it is exactly smart to abandon E3 on a launch year, if that makes sense. I feel like I feel like these are pretty integral years to be at a thing like E3, and even though E3 doesn't have the same you know, uh, charm or the same level of esteem that it used to have, I still think it is the place that people look to when they're looking at new things that are coming out. And it's the thing that people tend to focus on. Even on YouTube, I notice, you know, you do a video reacting to PAX live streams or PAX, uh, you know, PAX events. That doesn't get nearly the amount of traction as like, you know, my recap of E3 2020 or like or whoever's recap of e3 2019 those are always really good for getting eyes on your stuff and i think it, it speaks to a level of confidence to not be there but i also wonder if it speaks to a level of maybe unconfidence or inconfidence in the sense that i feel like you'd want to be showcased up next to the things that you're competing against just so you have a chance or an opportunity to really show your strength and I wonder if maybe this upcoming generation is just one of those generations that you can't really compare things in that way and they just don't see it as viable or necessary. Yeah, I think you make a good point because what I said on the Sacred Symbols Plus episode, one of the through lines I was talking about was that this is just a massive risk reward situation because they could Sony could not Sony's not going to be at E3. So Microsoft's going to really be able to steal the show, but it could come off if it doesn't go right for them as being like the comedian that's like on stage sweating and not getting any laughs or claps. And then there's no one coming on after them to like kind of clear it out because Sony's usually going last at these particular events just traditionally. But yeah. if Xbox hits it out of the park, which I think is pretty likely, then 
there's no Sony end cap like there usually is to steal their thunder. So the thunder is just going to continue. The rainstorms will continue for many days after that because that's all anyone's going to talk about. So I think that from my perspective, I, I first of all, I think this makes sense because I think that Sony is trying to contribute to and I think it's pretty obvious at this point that they they just don't want to be at E3 and they don't look at it as valuable and they're waiting, I think, for other partners to join them. But I don't blame Microsoft for saying, well, we'll be there. I mean, we, you know, if you're not going to be there, we'll be there. It's all upside for them, really, unless they shit the bed. But both consoles will be shown off more fluidly and, and more flushed out before E3. So I don't really know what E3 is really going to look like this year. But I, I, I'm interested, Chris, especially like what Sony says is whatever, but this ESA response sucks. You know, they're, they're using words like experiences, partners, exhibitor spaces, activations and programming. Activations is the is the weirdest one there. It sounds horrible. Give yeah. a shit about any of this. I don't care that you have exhibitor interest. Yeah, that I, doesn't interest. <laughs> who cares? It is a really weird way to word it, especially because, like, you know, I actually like E3 and I don't give a shit about any of any of this. You it know? just sounds like the show is changing a great deal. Yeah, and, probably. I, I yeah. think. I, but I I don't know, man. I do wonder if like maybe just Sony gets so scared whenever they do something and it doesn't work immediately. Like I feel I feel like they tr- they did the PSP and the PSP was like such a hit and the PS Vita just wasn't. They were like, ah, never mind. We won't do that anymore. And even so much as like going for like, you know, PlayStation View. It's like, oh, we'll try this. Oh, nobody's doing it. Ah, it never existed. Never mind. Fuck it. And then there's like. Even just simple things like logo changes, like when they did the PS3 logo change and it was like <laughs> the Spider-Man 3 font and everybody was like, that's a little funny. That's weird. And then everybody was and then they did the PS3 Slim and they were like, oh, that was that was a joke. Never mind. It's back to the way it used to be. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. if I wonder if this is just another example of like their last E3 showcase being so universally kind of clowned on and just sort of memed to hell. That maybe they're just like, ah, fuck it. That didn't work. We won't do this ever again. I think that's possible, too. We t- I talked a little bit about that on the Plus episode, because you're right. The E3 2018 press conference was unique for sure, but it, I don't think it was effective. I don't think it was really that interesting. And yeah, they probably don't want to shit the bed again. And I think not showing up some because some people think that they're not ready to go and maybe they're not. And, you know, they don't have much to show. But I don't think that that's the case. I think that they just realized with 106 million units sold with PS4, they just control their own destiny. And they don't by acting like you're bigger than E3. Again, it could blow up in your face. But if you're acting like you're bigger than E3 and then the shit you're showing is awesome and people love the machine and they're excited about it and pre-orders are going crazy. That's like a whole different ball game. And yeah. And I think that you have to just figure out how you want to play it. And they've decided they want to play it like this. And I don't know. I think people I we're going to see how it plays out, but I don't really know that there's much to worry about here. Yeah. I think that it's going to be fine. Yeah, we can't really tell now. We're, we're, we're kind of just trying to predict things at this point. We, we won't really know how things are going to go. This is a very unique generation that we're heading into. I do I find it interesting the things that Sony is willing to be traditional about and the things that they're willing to kind of break new ground by. Like the, the like not going to E3 is very untraditional. But the way they're going about their new system is very, very traditional. It's like, hey, here's a new system. Here's a hard reset on all the stuff that you're going to be able to play. Launch titles that are going to be exclusively available on this hardware, even though in all likelihood, we're probably at a point now with consoles where a game that is built from the ground up for PS5, I I really don't imagine that it's going to be a game that couldn't run in some capacity on a PlayStation 4. I feel like we're in a in a weirdly in like like an iterative 
space as far as console innovation goes. Like it used to be you played a game on the SNES and the Super or the Super Nintendo and you played a game on the N64 and you're like, well, there's no way that Super Mario 64 is running on the SNES. Just no way. That's that would be a completely different game. Sure. But I, I, I don't know if we're really at a point where, you know, even if the next consoles are super strong and loading times are drastically reduced or, or just or completely done away with. I don't know if we're really at that point where people are going to be like, do I need to get a new console just to play this thing that I'm sure can run on the PS4 Pro in some capacity? Yeah, they could just reduce the frame rate and the textures wouldn't yeah, look as nice I, and all of that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about it to, to be able to make that judgment. I just know that with the architecture of the PS4, it was supposed to be like very cross-generational and yeah, for easy sure. to maximize and all of that kind of stuff. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'm really I'm actually quite intrigued to see. I don't I actually am more intrigued about how people respond to the PS5 than the PS5 itself, because I just want to see if people care. There's so much demand for PS4 still that yeah. I, I don't I don't know. Like, do they kill? Do they really try to, like, kill the PS4? Do they drop the PS4's price and try to make you know it kind of reminds me of the triple what, what do they call that the like the three-pronged strategy that nintendo had with uh game boy advance gamecube and then nintendo ds and they tried to make all these things viable at the same time but ds naturally cannibalized game boy advance and so it didn't work out that way and they might have a similar situation with psvr and then psv or ps4 rather and then i wish psv and then ps5 where maybe ps5 just naturally cannibalizes it maybe they live together i mean when i was a nintendo gamer in the 90s along with PlayStation Gamer and and SNES was still a viable console like well into the N64 generation. So we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, Yeah. there were definitely still games coming out, but like the games that were running on the next generation hardware, you just could not see running on the previous gen. And I don't really think that's the case these days. Certainly. Yeah, there's a whole different ballgame between SNES and N64 with polygonal graphics and all that. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. We'll see. Alex Bolton wrote into us. He said, the ESA is a dying organization with the mismanagement of personal information last year. Sony continuing to distance themselves from E3 and a general disdain in the gaming community for them. Seems like it's a question of when or not, not if they die. My question is, what happens to the gaming industry if the ESA goes away? Does the ESRB die too? What do you guys think would really happen? So Alex is talking about the Entertainment Software Association, and these guys are the owners and proprietors of E3. And also the lobbying body in Washington, D.C. that represents the gaming industry and every industry in the United States. You can be like car salesmen or whatever, you know, whatever the case might be, or lumberjacks and shit. Like everyone has a trade association and in Washington and the ESA is the trade association for game publishers. I don't think the ESA is going to die. I just think that they have to recalibrate themselves because E3 is apparently worth half of their entire yearly gross income, which is bad. They're, they're really relying on it. And if the show goes down the way it's going down now, they're going to have to reframe their entire business structure. But the reality is, is that they do do or at least try to do important work in Washington on behalf of the devs and the publishers that represent them. They have, I think, 50 something like patrons, basically, that, pay, you know, like Square Enix and Activision and Sony, and they all pay tons of money to be part of the ESA. So I don't think it's going to go away. And the ESRB can't die because the ESRB is basically a handshake compact between the government and the Video Game Association. And if the ESRB just goes away, then the government's going to get involved in trying to frame violent video games and and mitigate them and then obviously try to rate them themselves. So I don't think I have anything to worry about there. But the ESA is certainly not going to be the organization it once was because they just became too reliant on E3. And that was a huge mistake. And... Nothing we can do about that as gamers, and we really shouldn't be that concerned about it. They only have power in the United States. They have no power anywhere else. So it's not like it's a 
game industry wide problem that they're going to have to overcome should the ESA die. Yeah. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Chris, just a couple more things before we get into what we're playing. There's a rumor uh, circulating apparently from a pretty prominent NeoGAF poster that has been right apparently about things in the past. I don't I, I don't know too much about this. I haven't vetted it myself, but his conjecture says that the Order 1886, the 2015 released PS4 exclusive from Second Party, Sony Second Party developed by Ready at Dawn, is apparently going to get a sequel and that the sequel is going to be on multiple platforms. I don't know if this is true. I actually believe it. But I don't know if it's true, and I think this can go multiple ways, but I didn't want to ignore it. It's not really a piece of news because we have no... It doesn't come from a source I would consider super reliable, but it is nonetheless making the rounds. Did you see anything about this by chance? Yeah, yeah. I heard a little bit about it. I wonder if it's been too long. Like, I feel like it's been a while, hasn't it? Like, what was it, 2015? It's like five years ago, actually. Yeah, it's almost five years to the date, really. Yeah. It came out very early in, in 2015. Yeah, I wonder, man, I wonder if that would be exciting. You know what I mean? Like, man, that's such an old property. Yeah, I don't I don't know if this is really necessary. I mean, though, I liked the Order 1886 from a world building standpoint and stuff, but it just wasn't a very good game from my perspective. And and I don't know that there's any demand for this, but it, what's weird about it and what, what's getting people all the consternation is growing specifically because of this thing going on with Horizon Zero Dawn, which we'll talk about in the news where Horizon's going to be going to PC and people are worried about what's going to happen with the order and all the and really all these other games. I mean, the MLB series is going to go multi-platform in 2022, which is actually technically the first first party game to have been announced to be doing so. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the order 1886 is that Sony owns that IP. So. If it's going multi-platform, then it simply means that there's going to be some sort of changing of hands of this IP, either Ready at Dawn acquired the IP from Sony or a third party publisher acquired it from Sony or Sony will fund the game to be published on multiple platforms. All of those things are possible. Yeah, it's also possible, as I said on Twitter, that this isn't true at all. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I don't really know exactly what's going to be happening with this. But it is nonetheless an intriguing story that makes more sense only because of what's been going on around it. Right. Uh, which is why I think it should be given a little bit of credence. Chris, the final piece of just kind of opening news before we get into everything else is uh, just want to give a shout out to Sony San Diego. I was reading in the MPD report. It was kind of buried in there. We're going to talk about the MPD numbers more specifically in the news. But uh, MLB The Show 20 on PS4 is the best selling baseball video game ever made. And uh, I wanted to give a shout out to them. That's a huge accomplishment and really shows the, the muscle of that. IP and and why 
it's gonna. I mean, it's gonna kill when it goes to other platforms. I mean, yeah. this is this could this could arguably the ar, this could arguably be, arguably be become. Uh, well, I'm like stuttering. Could arguably become Sony's biggest first party game. Yeah. When it, when it goes to Switch and Xbox and PC starting in 2022. So just wanted to tip our hats to them. I know we have people from that studio that listen to the show and uh, we appreciate their hard work. Uh, Chris, what have you been playing? I've not been playing much, honestly. Still been work. I've been like doubling down on working a lot, but I'm still playing through The Witcher 3. I kind of got a little bit of it spoiled for me because my roommate is a colossal asshole. Oh, but, nice. <laughs> but... I'm so I'm enjoying it, man. It's a really, really good game. And I, I, I found that while it is like super daunting because there's so much to do in it, it doesn't really feel like anything that you're doing is a waste of time or just something that you're doing to get stronger or to grind up to be able to do the real stuff that counts. Like everything really just does feel like primary content. And that kind of helps make it feel less daunting because you feel like everything is genuine progress and not just like oh do this side quest and to gain a special sword that you need to fight you know this person or or whatever it's a really really well well done rpg and i i I totally totally understand why people have been screaming at me to play it for the last several years well that's great i'm glad that you're uh, you've come around and are are playing it and enjoying it it's a game that i really would like to get back to as well it really is a beautifully realized world, very lush and interesting. And I agree with you. I, I, it is it is super impressive. It makes me wonder. I mean, obviously, we have Cyberpunk coming out. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. But Witcher 4, if that ever happens, and I think it would. I think originally they weren't going to do that. And I, I assume that now they, they are going to do that. I think they announced that a while ago. But it's like it really want, makes you wonder, like the Witcher 3 was really the uh, another high bar for Western role playing games and really one of the games that just showed how bad Bethesda games were becoming. And I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see more pressing forward and seeing what these guys can do. CD Projekt is an incredibly talented team. So glad you are enjoying it. Uh, I'm still playing Dragon Quest XI. I don't have much more to say about it. I'm almost 20 hours into it, trying to keep to my JRPG a month uh, promise. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I'm already falling behind, but... I, that's what I would like to do. It's it's going to take a lot of time. And actually, all of these delays we're going to talk about today actually came as a huge relief to me because it gives me a little more time to finish some of these games. But it really is fun. It's it's really linear and not very challenging, but it, it's satisfying to play. I just like grinding and fighting enemies and leveling up. I don't know. It's it's very simple. I've been listening to like a ton of podcasts when I'm playing it, so it's not like it really requires a lot of time. And the story's kind of silly, too. But I never played Dragon Quest for the story. It's just a really good, solid, traditional JRPG. So I highly recommend it. I know a lot of people especially enjoy the, I guess, the complete version on Switch, but I am playing it naturally on PS4. All right, let's get into the news, Chris. Now, the first piece of news created such consternation that I couldn't even believe it. And I really want to talk about it with you and see what you think about it. Yeah, definitely. And then we'll get into all the delayed news, of course. Yeah. Uh, Number one, 2017 smash hit PlayStation 4 exclusive Horizon Zero Dawn won't be a PS4 exclusive for much longer, according to a report on Kotaku. The website claims on good authority that Guerrilla Games action RPG will be coming to PC at some point in 2020, a somewhat revolutionary step for Sony, which has resisted publishing any first party games outside of its ecosystem pretty much completely since the PlayStation brand launched in 1994. While Horizon is actually playable on PC right now via PlayStation Now, there is no way to purchase and play the game natively outside of PS4. Kotaku's report is unclear when the game will come to PC, but Horizon is leaving PS Now's lineup in April, making that a presumably safe launch period. 
Horizon Zero Dawn was a left turn for Sony-owned Guerrilla Games, which was known primarily for its long-running Killzone FPS franchise, which is also exclusive to PlayStation and which convinced Sony to purchase the studio outright well over a decade ago. Horizon ended up being a smash critical and commercial hit, and more than 10 million copies sold, it's one of the best-selling PlayStation exclusives ever. While Sony has shown a willingness to publish second-party games on PC, in other words, IP it owns but from studios outside of its first-party family, this rumor, if true, will only mark the second confirmed first-party game migrating from PlayStation, following late last year's word that MLB The Show will come to Xbox, Switch, and PC in addition to PS4 and PS5 beginning in 2022. You can already find second-party games like Helldivers, Journey, Flower, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, Detroit Become Human, and others on PC right this very minute, however. Chris, what do you make of this pretty shocking news uh, that came out from Kotaku? And by the way, people are wondering, like, why am I talking about it like it's real? It's because it is real. This is this is obviously real. So (laughs) what do you think? This is this is big. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool. I think it's I think it's anything that is good, you know, like any game that's like like objectively something that a lot of people care about and something that has a lot of quality behind it being accessible to as many people as possible is inherently a positive thing in the grand scheme of things. And I think, you know, as much as we all like to like, oh, I like that this is exclusive to this platform. And it's like, and I I like that this is kind of like a staple of this platform or whatever. Uh, I get that. But at the same time, you're basically like, if, if you're like rooting against it, you're basically rooting against other people experiencing the thing that you've got to experience just because they had a different preference in hardware that is functionally the same as every other bit of hardware that exists in the same ecosystem. Like, I shouldn't, like, I don't know, just because I like an offset thumbstick doesn't mean I shouldn't get to experience Horizon. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I mean, I, I was a little confused about this for multiple reasons. And I understand that, and I don't, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or whatever, but a lot of people just don't know the industry that well. And they don't understand what Sony's doing and they don't understand PlayStation as an ecosystem the way we do and the way I do and, and the way a lot of other enthusiasts really do. And what was so confusing is what I said, like, first of all, you can play Horizon Zero Dawn on PC right now. And no one seemed to care about that at all. You can play it right this second on PlayStation now without having a PS4 and just having a PlayStation now subscription. That's That's all you need. And so it seemed weird to me just from that perspective, like you're saying about this, like real territorial console fanboy scenario where everyone's like, well, we can't we're losing this exclusive. And it's like you kind of already fucking lost the exclusive, dude. You know, and by the way, Uncharted Lost Legacy is also playable on PC right now. So it's not like this is like really that new and unique, but it is new and unique from it being available natively. And I understand that. But my argument on Twitter, and I, I think it resonated with a lot of people, was multifaceted. For starters, this game has sold, as I said, more than 10 million copies. Many of them sold at $59.99 or around there, $49.99, etc. Sony has rung this thing dry. You can get it right now for $9.99 in a box, nonetheless, digitally. So they make a little bit of money when they sell those games, but they, they can make a lot more selling the game on PC because they've, again, already rung the, the towel dry on PlayStation 4. And if you're waiting... If, if you're like your whole thing was like, I would I, I was going to play. I was going to buy a PS4 for Horizon. You would have already done that game came out three years ago. 
And so I, I just feel like if you care about Sony's well-being, like some of these fanboys seem to, and that's fine. I mean, I, I'd like Sony to do well, too. I'd like everyone to do well. Then you will really care about the fact that they'll sell millions of copies of this game on PC at near full price and make tons of money on it. And they can dump that money back into their first party. And by the way, Horizon's sequel is going to be a PS5 exclusive. It won't be on PC. And maybe it'll come to PC a few years later. But this is kind of a nice piece of bait to say, like, oh, you like Horizon? Well, here's Horizon. And Horizon 2 is not going to be on PC. You have to come play it on PlayStation 5 if you want it. And I'll remind people, and you know this better than anyone, Chris, when Halo Reach and these other games from the Xbox ecosystem came to PC, they fucking murdered murdered yeah and i just don't know how people can't see that and be like well it's not the same thing as releasing day and date this isn't the xbox strategy at all they're saying horizon's coming and i think dreams is obviously going to be coming to pc too and we'll see how this all kind of pans out but i really don't understand the consternation i actually was really bothered by it in a sense because i just feel like people are fanboys for no reason at all and I love PlayStation. I love the ecosystem. I'm going to continue to play on PlayStation. I'm not going to play games on PC. I wait till games come to PS4 and will come to PS5. That's just my that's just the way I feel. But I'm not going to like get upset like Chris said about someone else getting to enjoy what is inarguably like one of the great games of the generation. I think it's awesome and it's good for Gorilla, especially to be able to kind of spread their wings there. Yeah. And so I, I don't really understand why everyone's so upset. We're not everyone, but a lot of and, people are upset about and this. And it's strange, too, because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in a very privileged place, too, because like I have every machine that I can play any game on. Like, I could I could play Breath of the Wild. I could play Gears 5. I could play Uncharted. I can play all these games because I own the hardware to do it. And that was expensive shit, you know? And that's not super accessible to a lot of people. And you'd think that, I don't know, if you were maybe a PlayStation fan who maybe just couldn't muster up the, the funds for PS4 Pro or whatever the hell, and you wanted to play horizon and you had the patience enough to wait for three years for it to come to pc i don't i don't don't see what's wrong with that i think uh i'm a big fan of video games and i think that a lot of people miss out on like some of the best shit ever because they get alienated or they're stuck on one platform or they're locked out of others and i don't know man I, i just i like the way the industry is going as much as that might deteriorate some of the the old school charm of what we what we think is you know, inherently important to what a brand is, uh, what what is inherently important to a console manufacturer. I, I don't really think that stuff matters because your games are selling. Right. And I think also they have to because people were like, well, why wouldn't they do, do this with Shadowfall or like some other game? And I'm like, they don't want to do it with a smaller game. They want to do it with one of their biggest games so they can get the proper amount of data about what they can do. Like, can can we release a game three years later on PC and sell and sell it for full price or 40, you know, forty nine ninety nine or thirty nine ninety nine? And I think that they're going to get a lot of interesting insight into what's happening or what could happen with their games on PC. I, I would understand people's consternation a little more if they were if they came out where like everything on PS5 is going to come out on PS5 and on PC at the same time. And, and we're really loosening the, the reins on what what the console is. But. Even if they did that, the reality, as Chris is saying, is that we're moving in a direction where that's it's going to be about services and publishing in the future. Horizon is a really important IP for Sony, and it's going to be an important IP, I think, for many years. So why not try to cultivate something somewhere else and just see just see what happens? That's all you have to do is just see what happens. And maybe they look at it and they're like, this isn't worth it at all. We 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 take this and we, we didn't make as much money as we wanted to. We didn't sell as many copies. We can't sell it for a premium. A lot of our audience is mad at us, all of these things. And they combine it and they say, yeah. We're not going to do that. And and they just tried it one time. But 
for the people that are saying that this isn't true and this isn't going to happen, um, all you need to know is that Sony hasn't said anything about this. So that's why it's happening. Yeah. Because uh, they would have come out and they would have certainly come out and said, like, we're not releasing the game on PC. But they didn't come out and say that because that would be a lie. Uh, Kenny wrote in and said, howdy, gentlemen. Wondered about your thoughts on Horizon Zero Dawn going to PC. I'm curious to see if this is only because it is on the Decima engine, which is already being brought to PC with Death Stranding. From that perspective, it makes it seem like this would be done because it's an easy port, while The Last of Us or God of War on different engines may not be as easy to bring to PC. And so I wonder if they will at all. Curious on your thoughts from that point of view. Uh, thanks for the insight. This is actually a really good point. This might also have something to do with it. Decima is already natively running on PC. Death Stranding is coming to PC. So do you think that that might have something to do with it, that they can just kind of do? This is actually the easiest. They'll meet the least resistance in terms of the back end by moving this game to PC because the other games run on more proprietary Sony heart or Sony engines. Maybe. I don't know how valid that is, because I mean, at the end of the day, every single game that you've ever played is built on a PC. So they clearly run on PC and and they they're sure. even shown at E3 running superiorly to whenever they launch typically speaking on you know a powerful PC. I, I don't know if it's a matter of like this engine's already being ported to PC. So let's just put that game out. I I just think Horizon makes the most sense because unlike The Last of Us and God of War, they're not necessarily staples. Like God of War is a storied franchise that has gone on for quite a while, it's a pretty important IP, and The Last of Us is just an insanely, you know, seminal game that I don't think you want necessarily separating from uh, the console too much. Whereas Horizon's in like a nice sweet spot because it's like it's a new IP, it's kind of oldish, so it's got that level of like, okay, well, you know, we've wrung this thing dry out already on on our platform, but it's also just not it's I don't want to say it's not as good as God of War or The Last of Us but it's definitely like I, I feel like people view them differently and I feel like this is like a perfect game to be like this is a quality first party Sony game that's old enough to justify us kind of re-putting it out there and like putting it out on on PC and seeing how it does in a completely different ecosystem without seeming too uh, grubby or money hungry. Yeah, very well put. I, I think that's perfectly put. Yeah, God of War and The Last of Us are, are way more important. And now I like Horizon better than God of War, but there's no doubt 15 years running uh, God of War games have been, with the exception of Ascension, have been huge hits. And, you know, including God of War 3 on PS3, which was kind of kind of came out in a dark period for Sony and it still did really well. And obviously even God of War 2 came out on PS2 during the PS3 era and was a smash hit too. And obviously, again, the new God of War is awesome. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And we're just going to have to see. I, I don't think we're going to learn too much about their intent until we see the steps three and four and five. If they if they really start doing this more, then we can have a different kind of conversation about what's happening. But they see the writing on the wall and Sony's not stupid. They're, they're not just like doing things for no reason. This isn't something that someone just woke up one day and was like, we really should bring Horizon to PC. There, there's got to be intent behind this. This is there's got to be some sort of phalanx here that they're trying to create to see if they might even be able to protect some of their other IP by kind of offering some sacrifices, as it were, to other audiences to try to lure them in. It could be a really effective marketing tool. And I think Horizon, I think it's really possible Horizon 2, if not a launch game on PS5, is a launch window game. And this could be a massive marketing tool for them. Yeah. To be like, well, you're, you're not getting Horizon 2 anywhere but PlayStation 5. So enjoy it on PC. 
And if you want to wait like five years and then buy it on PC later, then more power to you. And I think that that's great. So everyone wins. No big deal. Yeah. Now, Chris, Matthew O'Sullivan has a little bit of a different view here. He says, hello, Colitis Colin and Cerebeller infarction, Chris, Cerebeller infarction. I don't know what that means. Stop using big words. I don't like it. Why are so many people clamoring for a platform agnostic future? I love that competition exists between platforms, and surely this drives the production of games of the very best quality. I think it's great that Horizon and other games are moving to the PC after a launch period, but also think it's paramount that Sony has a library of excellent exclusive games that make PlayStation an exciting platform to invest in. I have no doubt that the initiative over at Microsoft have looked at Naughty Dog, Gorilla, and the like when sitting down to work out what they're going to make. Platform competition can surely only mean better games. What do you two gentlemen think? This is interesting, Chris, because I don't know that I would deny pound for pound that the very best games in all of gaming come from the first parties, from the three first parties. I think that that's true. Yeah, I think, you know, I I think there are awesome games coming from every other publisher, too. But I think pound for pound, you can reliably say that when a Sony exclusive comes out, it's going to be great. And you can't say that about and, and you can say that about Nintendo and you could say that even about Microsoft or you used to be able to really more say that about Microsoft. And I think you will again soon. But you really can't say that about like Square Enix or Activision or whatever the case might be. So I think there's something to this. But do you think that Matthew has a point here that platform agnosticism kind of adds to the mystique of competition saying like, well, we have to these are the marquee games on our platform. And so they must, by definition, they must shine. And if we're doing this multi-platform thing, then that that sheen kind of goes away. What do you think? Maybe, but there is also, there's also a, I, I don't know, I would argue that there's even a step up in competition when you're competing directly on the same, you know, if if Halo 5, or, or not Halo 5, if the next Halo game and the next big, let's say for, for hypothetically speaking, the next Halo game and the next Last of Us come out on PS5 and Xbox, in, or, or Xbox Series X and PC at the same time, that means for the first time ever... A, a Microsoft first-party game and a Sony first-party game are directly competing on the same platform. That's even more competitive, I think, because you're actually going to have people making a choice between the two of them, as opposed to making the choice between just a box that guarantees, you know, certain titles in the future. You're, this is like a pound-for-pound pound direct title-per-title title competition that we are em- entering into in that hypothetical scenario. So I, I think it's still competitive. I just think it's a different kind of competition. And it's one that might need a little bit of reflection to, to nail exactly how you're going to go about it. And it might need a little bit of reflection just to figure out what it means for the platforms. But I don't think competition goes away just because your titles are more widely available. If anything, you're competing for the eyes of a much larger audience. It's an interesting point you make because if Halo were on... PlayStation 5, then that actually reduces even the need for Killzone at all because yeah. it's not going to be able to compete, etc. Or maybe it would, and maybe, and maybe that would make a better Halo game and so on. So you're probably right there. I mean, you can definitely look at it that the more competition on the more platforms, the better the games will become. And that's probably true. I, I just, again, I just... I think platform agnosticism isn't something that I'm I'm wishing into existence, and I think Chris is more agnostic... He's way more agnostic than I am in this regard, but... I just think it's inevitable. It's like, it's what's going to happen. So you really got to start wrapping your mind around it, that eventually PlayStation is going to become a publishing imprint for its first party games and its services like PlayStation Now 
and PlayStation Plus and all of that kind of stuff. And we're not going to be there in five years, but we might be there in 10 years. And this I know that this is so trite, Chris. I know like because we, we talked about this when PlayStation 3 was swinging into PlayStation 4 and the consoles were getting announced and PS4 was known as Project Orbis and all this shit. But this these are probably the last consoles. I, I, I can't imagine that you're going to get a PlayStation 6. I, I just don't know about that. I just don't know that we're going to be there in 2026 or 2027. I think we're going to have a really unrecognizable, probably in a good way, an unrecognizable ecosystem. And um, this just might be the first step. And maybe we just have to start wrapping our minds around it. And the only way, by the way, I mean, you can fight this as a consumer by saying, like, I'm not going to support PlayStation doing this. And then you just have to put your money where your mouth is. But I'm telling you, none of you will. We talk about this all the time with electronic arts, especially no one puts their money where their mouth is in this industry ever. Yeah. And if you and if you don't do it, then just then don't complain because they don't give a fuck about anything but money. You can say whatever you want on Twitter. You can. We're going to talk a, a little bit about in a little while about the best selling games of the decade. Don't be so surprised that every Call of Duty game that has been released in the last 10 years is on that list. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you say about it on Twitter. It's where it's they care about your fucking greenbacks. You know what I mean? That's all. They yeah, care man, about. And I think you can fight it. But like you, you really got to take a, a good hard look at the phone that you have right now and all the different things that you used to have to carry around that you thought you would want as separate. Like I remember I remember there was a point actually where I thought, why do I want my music on my phone? I literally thought that that was a thing that I thought and I remembered making perfect sense. Like, I want a thing that's dedicated to this thing. I don't want all my things mixed up because then it gets confusing and it's weird. And like, what, my phone's a flashlight and a calculator and an address book and a notepad and a, you know, and now that's just and now that's just what they are. And we're all fine with it. And it makes perfect sense. And I think that's the direction that most technology is going in. We're like, you know, it just makes more sense to consolidate as many things into one object as you possibly can. And that has all sorts of dangerous implications, uh, both. You know, from a monopoly standpoint and from like, a you know, just there's a myriad of problems with it. But there's no question about whether and like, would you go back to having separate devices for every single piece of media that you consume? I doubt you would. You're absolutely right. I mean, Chris, I, I mean, I'm not the smartest man in the world, so maybe people don't experience this the way I do. But I've been told over and over again by major companies that that this is what you want. And they've been right. Like a lot. Yeah. You know, like. I remember getting Netflix discs in the mail and when streaming started, I'm like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I really want to do this. And like you said, with the phone, when I had a Palm Pre, which was my first smartphone, it had like actual buttons on it. And when I got my first iPhone, which I think was like the iPhone three or something, I was like, I don't I can't use I want I want buttons. Yeah, I want buttons yeah, on my yeah. phone. I said the same thing. How am I supposed to type? And then before you know it. And then I remember typing my text messages with my first iPhone, like by holding the holding it horizontally. And no one was doing that. And then you realize, like, I'm like, how am I supposed to fit my thumbs and learn this keyboard with this little thing? And then you just learn it over and over and over and over and over again. This happens. And so sometimes I think it's not great to always defer to the market, but the market's pretty smart. It, it really I know I'm a capitalist in all of this, but the market's pretty smart. And when I was in college at Northeastern 15 years ago, we had digital cameras at every party, right? Everyone had their digital cameras out. I, I would highly doubt that you would ever go to a party at Northeastern in 2020 and see a digital camera anywhere. There's probably not a digital camera anywhere on that fucking campus anymore. Times change. And like you said, with the MP3 player, I loved I, when I got my iPod, I was so thrilled. I like it was like one of my favorite days ever when I got my iPod. And now I would never even touch that thing ever again because yeah. I can just listen to Spotify. I don't even buy music anymore. Now I just subscribe to them. And then, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we have to kind of let this thing adjust. I think 
Maybe it goes bad. Maybe this really goes south. I don't know, but I doubt it. I think we're all going to be okay. Yeah. So everyone just take it easy out there. Just take it easy, (laughs) please. All right, Chris, let's get into all of these delays. Oh, my God. Delay day. It's delay day. Number two, publisher slash developer Square Enix has opted to delay its eagerly anticipated Final Fantasy VII remake, bumping the game about five weeks from its most recent release date. Originally slated to launch on March 3rd, the game will now come to PlayStation 4 on April 10th, buying the dev team precious extra time to polish the product to a fine sheen. In a press release published to the Square Enix website, the game's producer, Yoshinori Katasi, wrote, quote, We know that so many of you are looking forward to the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I've been waiting patiently to experience what we have been working on. In order to ensure we deliver a game that is in line with our vision and the quality that our fans who have been waiting for deserve, we have decided to move the release date to April 10th, 2020. We are now making this tough decision in order to give ourselves a few extra weeks to apply final polish to the game and to deliver you with the best possible experience. I, on behalf of the whole team, want to apologize to everyone, as I know this means waiting for the game just a little bit longer. Thank you for your patience and continued support, end quote. Final Fantasy VII is arguably the most famous JRPG ever made and originally launched on PS1 in 1997, with a trophy-enabled port launched on PS4 in late 2015. This is only a five-week uh, delay, Chris. What do you think? I I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, I gotta be real, man. This This year is so chock full of shit that every delay feels like a kiss from an angel. Definitely. It feels like a, it feels like a soft like a little, little kiss from an angel. Ooh, I love it. Smooch. I feel great yeah. every time something's delayed. Don't delay Doom though, please. <laughs> please. Yeah, the, the no Doom delay. I mean, Doom was already delayed, right? So they're probably yeah. So they're probably stuck now where they are. Yeah. But yeah, this five week delay is fine. I, I mean, I, I will remind everyone that The Last of Us One got a similar period release or release uh, delay to buy The Last of Us extra support. And Neil Druckmann told me back in the day that that five weeks allowed Naughty Dog to take a great game and make it excellent. And that there's just some pieces that aren't connecting right and some final edits that need to be made and maybe some pickups with audio. And you, you, there could be an unimaginable amount of things that they just need to clean up and yeah. that it'll bring the game from an eight to a nine or whatever the case might be. I'm, I'm with Chris. I, I want every game to get delayed for now. <laughs> I mean, that would be awesome. And, and pretty much every game is being delayed as we're going to find out. But for Final Fantasy seven, I'm really excited about this game. I was really wrong about. Well, maybe I'm not. Maybe the game's going to suck. But when the game was shown and they talked about it, I was like, oh, God, this sucks. Who cares? And they showed it when they showed gameplay. I, I bought in completely. I'm, I'm totally in. So they should take as much time as they need. So arguably my most anticipated game right now. And I just want to I, I just have this really eager, this eagerness inside me to just see what it is. Just, I just want to see what it is. Yeah. What did you do to this game? And. If it's going to work out, and I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a huge hit. So why not break yourself out a few more weeks and polish that bad boy to a sheen? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. 
or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. But this delay, this next delay, has a lot of people even more upset. Number three. Eagerly anticipated CD Projekt developed RPG Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed out of its April release date and will now launch on September 17th later this year. According to a statement released on CD Projekt Red's various social media feeds, the team's co-founder and head of studio wrote in part, quote, We are currently at a stage where the game is complete and playable, but there's still work to be done. Night City is massive, full of stories, content, and places to visit. But due to the sheer scale and complexity of it all, we need more time to finish playtesting, fixing, and polishing. We want Cyberpunk 2077 to be our crowning achievement for this generation, and postponing launch will give us the precious months we need to make the game perfect, end quote. In an investor Q&A with the developer, as relayed by website Gamasutra, studio CEO Adam Kaczynski controversially noted that the team will indeed have to crunch during this extra time. Quote, we try to limit crunch as much as possible, but it is the final stage. We try to be reasonable in this regard. But yes, unfortunately, we will need to crunch. End quote. Polish developer CD Projekt Red was founded in the mid-90s and didn't release its first full game until 2007, when the original Witcher game came to PC, as based upon the Polish-language fantasy novels written by Andre, uh, Andrzej Sapkowski. Sorry, I'm not Polish. The Witcher 2 Assassins of Kings followed in 2011, with The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt coming in 2015, the first CD Projekt game to come to a PlayStation console. Cyberpunk 2077 was first announced nearly eight years ago, and is based upon the Mike Pondsmith pen and paper RPG Cyberpunk, which first launched in the 80s. Chris, what do you make of this delay? I'm totally fine with it. Look, man, this is one of those games that I was already on board in 2012 when they announced this thing, and they had that weird that weird CG trailer with the chick with spider arms with bullets playing in the background. I was like, this is sick. Whatever this is, I, I'm down for it. And I've waited, what, eight years at this point? I can handle a couple extra months. Uh, I think it's going to be cool, man. I admire the candor, too, of of this announcement. I, I, I like when a, a dev is just honest and being like, hey, we got to fix some stuff. Uh, because it, it it weirdly shows a degree of confidence. Because, like, if you were making, like, Duke Nukem forever, you know, and you delayed your game for, like, years. Right. You're not going to, there's not going to be a post like that being like, hey, we got to finish up some playtesting. We, we just got to polish it a little bit. No, that's just like, we're going to get this thing out and we're going to be as silent as possible. So the open communication is nice. I don't mind the relatively long delay compared to some of the other ones that we've seen. And, you know, as controversial as the whole crunch thing is, I, I, I think crunch results in pretty universally amazing shit. And that's just sort of the price of shit. As, as sad as that is, I wish it wasn't that case. I wish that wasn't necessarily necessary to make an amazing game. But it tends to be that that's just what happens. And if anything, it gives me even more confidence that this game is going to completely crush it. 
Yeah, I'm confident that it's going to be something in this really resonated with me in this statement that they released where they had said that they wanted this to be their crowning achievement for this generation. So for as much as people love The Witcher 3 and and rightfully so, it's a great game that people really, really are enamored with. Imagine a game that's even better than that. And imagine a game that imagine following up that game, first of all, and the amount of pressure that goes into following that game up. But then really saying straight out, like, we want this game to be the best game we've ever made on the back of the game that really put us on the map. And I think you're right. I think it's really bold and confident. And yeah, as far as well, let's talk about this crunch thing through uh, a letter from Brian Shy on Patreon. He said, greetings, gents. I can't take credit for this as I saw writer extraordinaire Sophia Narwitz, who's uh, my writer on SideQuest, brought this up on Twitter. But how do these game sites like Kotaku not see the utter hypocrisy of attacking game developers over things like inclusiveness, but also attacking them for asking for crunch to polish a game? The recent rash of AAA delays really exposed some rank hypocrisy from games media. Would love to get your guys thoughts on all of this. Thanks for everything. So what Brian's bringing up here, Chris, is actually super interesting. And I think it's a really relevant conversation to have. There's that. What was that game? I, I should have wrote it down. I, I didn't. There's a Russian game or an Eastern European game that's like really been a huge hit on Twitch recently. And they're the ones that were talking about how they don't have playable female characters and it's like too much work for them to put them in. Yeah. Basically. And Kotaku like really lambasted these guys. And a lot of like this media in group lambasted these guys for not crunching on their game for not saying like, well, we don't want to put an extra work on our game. We don't have time to do this. But then CD project says we are going to crunch on our game to make it better. And then they attack them and <laughs> it is It is totally hypocrit- hypocritical. It makes no sense. Yeah. It, like whatsoever. It, it, it really is. I think it was uh, escape from Tarkov, I think. Yeah, that's right. Escape from Tarkov. Yeah. That is exactly right. It's, it is definitely hypocritical. I, I don't know, man. Sophia, that's a good point. I don't know what else I can add to that because it's so concise. It is. It, it's it's a perfect point and, and it got a lot of traction in her tweet. And I, I'm, I'm glad it did because it just it, it's so this is what I'm saying about like unreasonable politics just kind of seeping into everything. It doesn't it really doesn't make any sense. And I'm with Chris like it, you're not a slave when you work at a game dev. As far as I know, there are no slave run game developers anywhere in the world. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people are, have guns held to their head in South Korea or something like that, working on the cheap. I don't know. But generally speaking, these are really good jobs anywhere you are, especially in Eastern Europe, where you're making well above the median income. And by the way, you're making a ton of money in the United States when you work at a game developer higher than the household income in the United States. So uh, to me, I look at it and I'm like, well, this is a vo- you're volunteering. This is your job and this is your passion. And do you want to put out a game that isn't the best it could be. And as far I've, I've talked to developers where they say crunch is inevitable, not because of bad production. Sometimes that causes it and not because of bad timing, which also sometimes causes it, but because it's never quite done. The game's never quite done. Like you could, you can definitely delay it forever and they're going to crunch because the game is never quite where they need it to be. They just need to kind of ship it at some point. And so I don't really understand this, this attack on crunch, which was what happened during Red Dead Redemption 2. And then look at the game that came out. Like, look at Red Dead Redemption 2. That can't happen in 40-hour weeks. Can't. Can't happen. And if you don't have the passion to work on something more than the allotted 40 hours that maybe you're in quote-unquote supposed to be somewhere, then maybe you're in the wrong line of work. And I say that as a creative person myself. I, I, I work as much as necessary to make the content. I work as much as necessary to make the product the best it can be. Whatever happens, happens. That's the way it is. If I want to go punch a clock 
and work a very neat 40 hour work week, then that's fine, too. You can go do that. Yeah. But don't act like you don't have a choice because you do. You do have a choice. There are very different. There are very different jobs. And in, and in a job that uh, in the job that we are both in, in the, in the kind of creative media field, it's kind of always crunch because you're just kind of always making things. And like, you know, you could edit. I could spend probably a year editing a video and making changes, meaningful changes to that video and adding things. And like, it'll never be done until I decide or somebody else says, Hey, get your hands off it, finish it. (laughs) You know, like we don't have the luxury of necessarily clocking out and not thinking about work all the time, which I guess sounds like a little bit complainy, but like, I mean, there's some days where I'm like, man, it it would be nice to have like (laughs) a kind of like a shitty job again where I could just like relax and like, clock out and then be done with it and wash my hands of it. But at the same time, I, I, I don't think I would want to go back to it because I, I enjoy what I do. And I think there are a lot of game developers who probably feel the same way. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure crunch is super hard and I'm sure like straining yourself to make as perfect a product as you can is super draining and it's probably, <laughs> probably super damaging. But I don't know if you get anything great without that. You're right. And I also think, Chris, that you all pull in one direction for a common cause, which is not only the game itself, but also like the substantial bonuses that lay on the other side based on how good the game does and how critically acclaimed it is. I mean, we'll recall when we talked about Red Dead Redemption 2 and the crunch cycle on that game that there are people at, at, at Rockstar that make six figure bonuses because of the game's sales. Lots of people. And so things come at a cost, but you're getting paid on the back end. It's like you're as strong as your weakest link and you don't want to be the weak link on your chain because then everyone suffers as a result. The gamer suffers, obviously, the publisher and the developer, but you don't even get the money on the back end. And, you know, CD Projekt Red has created such a a good vibe for itself since The Witcher 3 came out in 2015 that I think that they just want to really hold on to it for dear life. And that comes through hard work. And I would really be surprised if you went there, if you went to Krakow or whatever, I think that's where they are in Poland, and you talk to them. I, I really doubt that and you talk to them candidly that I really doubt that many of them would complain. I, I think that they understand that, A, this is what's necessary. B, there's going to be financial gain on the end of it. And C, that they're probably going to get a substantial amount of time off, too. So it's not like they're just going to go work on the next game now. So to me, I, I look at it and I, I agree with you. I think people kind of have to be a little more grateful for the jobs that they have, which is why I think you see a lot of this complaining coming from outside and not from within. And even when the Rockstar thing, you'll recall when the Rockstar thing was happening with Red Dead, and then the Rockstar employees were like, none of this is true. Like, no one works this much. There were people that had been there for like 20 years saying, like, I think I work like 45 hours a week. You know, so yeah, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that this couldn't have been avoided. I mean, it is an interesting question of like you're delaying the game five months and then you're also crunching. So what was the intent beforehand? Like, what the fuck happened? And it really could be, you know, there are milestones what are called milestones for game development. And it could be that their publisher, which I think is WB on this game came in or it could just be an internally published game where they came in and they were just like, we aren't happy with what's going on here. You, we, it needs more work. And, and this and these conversations probably happened around the holidays. And so they're talking about these things now, but it was probably already proliferated around the studio. And uh, I think that we're going to be really pleased with this. And hey, this is another put your money where your mouth is situation. Like I talked about last week, how I personally have a problem with the glorification of Stalin by the Disco Elysium developer, so I'm not buying the game. That's me putting my money where my mouth is. It's not going to really hit their bottom line. They're going to be very successful and fine without me. If you don't want, if you don't want to support this so-called crunch culture, then don't buy Cyberpunk. Don't buy it. 
That's the only way you can talk. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, just throwing that out there. But I don't think any of you have the balls to do it. (laughs) None of you have the balls. Number four, Square Enix owned studio Crystal Dynamics has revealed that its upcoming Avengers game has been delayed. Originally slated for a launch on PS4 and elsewhere on May 15th, the game will now come out on September 4th. On the Crystal Dynamics website, studio co-heads Scott Amos and Ron Rosenberg wrote, quote, At Crystal Dynamics, our ambition has always been to deliver the ultimate Avengers gaming experience. In order to achieve that goal, we have made the difficult decision to move the release date of Marvel's Avengers to September 4th, 2020. As fans ourselves, it's an honor and a privilege to work with these legendary characters, and we know what these superheroes mean to us and the true believers around the world. When we set out to bring you our vision of Marvel's Avengers, we committed to delivering an original story-driven campaign, engaging co-op, and compelling content for years to come. To that end, we will spend this additional development time focusing on fine-tuning and polishing the game to the high standards our fans expect and deserve. The worldwide teams working on Marvel's Avengers sincerely appreciate the support you've shown us. We thrive on your enthusiasm and feedback, and we can't wait to show you more. We apologize for the delay. We're confident it will be worth the wait. End quote. Uh, Chris... Anything to say about this delay? Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. That game was looking a little bit weird to me already. Yeah, no doubt. So I, I don't know no how doubt. much. I, I think a delay could super actually really be beneficial to this one. I think that that could probably get it to a point where it doesn't look so strange. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I don't have anything to say about this. I'm just not that interested in the Avengers at all. I feel like I just washed my hands of it the second that last movie came out. And I was like, all right, good. I'm done. I don't need this anymore. The game doesn't look interesting to me or even good. I'm really I'm curious how how it does, because I, I don't think it looks good. But yeah, uh, I think Crystal Dynamics will be fine one way or the other. But yeah, the buying themselves time is always fine. But yeah, I don't really know that this is a I'm kind of curious how this game does uh, commercially. Critically, I don't think it's going to do very well. We'll see. Now, Calvin Kirstein wrote into us about Cyberpunk, but this goes for both of these games, actually, both Avengers and Cyberpunk. He says, hey, Colin and Chris, Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed to September. While I don't mind the delay as this should hopefully produce a better overall product, does this mean the game could suffer from too much hype? It's been hyped to shit already, and now there's going to be another six months of anticipation. Um, also, do you think its release might be impacted by the new consoles releasing only a couple months later? I don't think there's going to be any impact there. But Chris, it's interesting with Cyberpunk and with the Avengers. I think these two delays create two different problems. Cyberpunk, I think, is suffering from hype, and I don't know that it can meet it because The Witcher 3 didn't have that much hype, and it ended up exceeding people's hype because it was like a game that slowly filled people's veins. It wasn't this game that murdered right off the bat. It took a little bit of time for people to understand what they were playing, but with, with this game, there are expectations. While with the Avengers, I think you're absolutely right. I think that this game has a different problem, which is like prolonging its its kind of appearance in the pre-release state where everyone's like, I don't, I don't know if I really want this anymore, I mean, especially now that it's coming out so close to the new consoles. And I, I'm a little questioning here with the Avengers. See, they have to obviously hype their game up and stuff like that. But the hype about the Avengers in their own statement, it, it just doesn't even match what anyone is saying about the game. So I think that this creates a totally different problem where they're like, we we're delivering this and we our vision and and we're polishing it to the high standards our fans expect. I don't know, man. This doesn't look like a Tomb Raider game to me. So yeah. I don't know what your fans really expect. But do you think that these games can be suffering in some way from what is usually considered a pretty positive thing, which is a delay to buy them more time? No, I don't think so. I don't think the hype for Cyberpunk. I don't think the hype for Cyberpunk is growing. I, I just think it's always been at the same level of super high. Like I'm not 
more excited about Cyberpunk now that it's delayed than I was like a year ago. I feel like it reached its peak the second they started showing footage, and I don't think it's really excelled past it. I think it's it is definitely a lot of hype, but I don't necessarily think that a delay is doing much of anything except maybe giving some people time to breathe, especially because it's just such a jam-packed year that, you know, I, I think people are thankful that it's coming out in September and not such a crowded time earlier in the year. Since the one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing with all these publishers, these different publishers, I often wonder, or I have wondered this last week, like, what do they think? Because everyone was like, well, we're delaying our game, and they didn't know that the other, all these other games were being delayed, too. The only, the only delays that were probably known to each other were the Square Enix delays, which come from Crystal Dynamics and, and Square Enix Japan with Final Fantasy VII Remake and the Avengers. But they are, they're all pushing their games, and they're all coming out now in a still similar time frame. So they're just going to be competing with each other later. Yeah. And obviously, Cyberpunk is just going to destroy Avengers in that regard. But it, it might not matter. Avengers looks like it's a game that they want to position to stick around for a while. But I kind of, it kind of feels like Anthem to me. A little yeah, bit. no, totally. I'm, I'm getting the same kind of vibes. We will see. Number five, the much-anticipated follow-up to 2015's surprisingly awesome first-person open-world zombie game Dying Light, called Dying Light 2, has been delayed. Word comes by way of a letter from developer Techland CEO, as posted on Dying Light's social media feeds within the studio CEO Pavel Marchauka, says the following, quote, It was a busy year for us as we continued working on our biggest project to date. We know you are awaiting the, ga uh, the game eagerly, and we want to deliver exactly what we promised. We were initially aiming for a spring 2020 release with Dying Light 2, but unfortunately, we need more development time to fulfill our vision. We will have more details to share in the coming months, and we'll get back to you as soon as we have more information. We apologize for this unwelcome news. Our priority is to deliver an experience that lives up to our own high standards and the, to the expectations of you, our fans. Please stay tuned, and thank you for our fan to our fans from around the world. From around the world, I'm fucking this up. For your continued support, patience, and understanding, end quote. Quote, Techland was founded in the early 90s in Poland and was a relatively unknown dev until its Call of Juarez series stormed consoles and PC beginning in 2006. The team released popular open world zombie game Dead Island in 2011 and a follow up called Riptide in 2013 before wisely segueing out of that now dying franchise to create Dying Light in 2015 and an expansion called The Following in 2016. It's unclear if Dying Light 2 will still launch in 2020. The game was announced back at E3 2018. I can't wait for that game, so I, I'll have to wait a little longer, but they can take all the time they need. Dying Light is a really special game, and I, I absolutely cannot wait yeah. uh, to play the sequel to that. But <laughs> not much more to say about this, I guess. Yeah. They have expectations to hit. I mean, this is just like everyone else. I, I, this is very similar to the CD Projekt delay. Also, it's interesting that they're the only ones that don't have a release date. They never had a release date, and they have no release date or news on that still. So I wonder if this game's even coming out this year. Yeah, it might not. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens, because I think if you I think if it's a last gen game and you release it after September, I don't know if that's wise, because even though it'll be playable on the next consoles natively, it's still going to get washed out by the exclusives that are going to be coming out with the consoles. So I think that if they're not going to get it out by late summer, they should just get it out next year and maybe make it a native PS5 game. That would be even nicer. Yeah. All right. One more. I think one more. Yeah. One more delay. Number six. The upcoming PSVR exclusive Iron Man game, aptly called Iron Man VR, has been delayed. Originally slated to come out on February 28th, developer Camouflage revealed on Twitter that the game will now come to PSVR on May 15th. The company tweeted that the delay stems from the dev wanting, quote, to deliver on our vision and meet our high or the high expectations of our amazing community, end quote. 
Iron Man VR was revealed during the State of Play stream last year. The team behind the game Camouflage is best known for its quirky stealth game Republic, which launched on PS4 in March of 2016. I couldn't care less about that game, but I know a lot of people are excited about it. So there's another delay. That's the last delay. Oh, good. For now. Jesus. That's the last delay for now. So many delays. So many delays. All right, Chris, let's get through the rest of the news. Number seven is NPD. The NPD group has revealed sales charts for September, December of 2019, tracking the best selling games in the United States for that time period. The group also revealed year long sales figures and other interesting data as well. For starters, and not surprisingly at all, Call of Duty Modern Warfare was December's best selling game by dollar sales, followed by Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order at two, Madden NFL 20 at three and NBA 2K20 at four. Other notable games include Minecraft at 10, Grand Theft Auto 5 at 11, Red Dead Redemption 2 at 12, FIFA 20 at 13, Just Dance 2020 at 14, and Need for Speed Heat at 15. On a platform basis, the following 10 games were PS4's best-selling games of the month in order. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Madden NFL 20, NBA 2K20, Need for Speed Heat, Grand Theft Auto 5, FIFA 20, Death Stranding, Spider-Man, and The Outer Worlds. The MPD group also revealed that PlayStation 4 was the decade's best-selling console in the United States and revealed the best-selling games of the decade across platforms, which is a depressing list indeed. Get ready for this one, Chris. God. These are the 20 best-selling games from 2010 through 2019. Grand Theft Auto 5, Call of Duty Black Ops, Call of Duty Black Ops 2, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, Call of Duty Ghosts, Red Dead Redemption 2, Call of Duty World War 2, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Minecraft, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, Mortal Kombat 8, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, Battlefield 1, Battlefield 4, Destiny, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and Star Wars Battlefront. Oh, Christ. Good Lord. That's a lot of Call of Duty games. That's a lot of uh, FPS. A lot of them. Yep. Huge. I mean, I think the most interesting game on that list is Zelda, to be perfectly, perfectly honest with you. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, Red, obviously Red Dead doing great is awesome. GTA 5 doing great is not surprising. But man, I mean, that is just, that just shows you how big Call of Duty is, how just monstrous that franchise is. Yeah. And just how much money Activision makes. Holy shit. That's some big swinging dick shit. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, right now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty deeply unnecessary. The uh, Destiny being on there is kind of surprising, too. I, I don't know if I would have expected that. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's nice to see it there. Battlefield One and Battlefield Battlefield One was so good. God damn. Yeah, this is yeah, so, this was. is such a shock, shockingly FPS heavy list. Fuck me. I'm actually like super. That's more shocking than Call of Duty, just being the main thing. Like the, the fact that Battlefield Four is on here at all is kind of surprising. Battlefront. What? Yeah, Battlefront stuck it out because Battlefront. I remember Battlefront was when it, it was that 2015 fall of 2015. That was that is so many commercials and so much hype. I think that if people could get their money back for it, a lot of people would have. Mortal Kombat 8 being on the list is interesting too. I just really didn't know Mortal Kombat was so big. I mean, that it's bigger than Street Fighter is no bueno to me, but yeah. I'm I'm trying to I I don't it, that's every that's every Call of Duty game I think that was released in that in that time frame. Yeah, I think so. I think it's all of them. Yeah. Cuz I think World at War would be the last one that wasn't that was 2009, 2000 yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think I think it, so. it was four in oh seven. Uh World at War in oh nine, I think. Or no, yeah, World at War in oh eight. Must yeah, and then yeah, and then Modern Warfare two. In two thousand nine. Nine, I think, yeah. I can't yeah. keep up with all this shit. All right. Holy moly. Okay. Number eight. 
Publisher slash developer Capcom has revealed the update roadmap for their mega popular Monster Hunter World Iceborne action RPG. Beginning next month in February, the game will receive new so-called special event quests. But in March, the real fun begins. The third of the standalone expansion's major title updates, 13.0, will launch that month alongside some new monster variants with title update 13.5 following in April. In May, major title update 4, 14.0, will come out. And beyond that, there will be new updates that Capcom will get into later that will run from June onward. News of Capcom's extensive and continued support of Iceborne comes on the back of word that it has sold more than 4 million copies across available platforms and across retail and digital. Meanwhile, the core Monster Hunter World game has now sold more than 15 million copies, remaining Capcom's best-selling game ever. Monster Hunter as a franchise has now surpassed 61 million copies sold, according to website Gamatsu. So congratulations to Capcom for the continued success of a game I will never play, but that I know a lot of people very much enjoy. <laughs> did you play Did you play Monster Hunter? That's a game that I feel like you might dick around with yeah no? i was totally into it before i played it and then i started to play it and then there's a just a really long tutorial that i was just i i could not it, it was a witcher 3 thing for me like i started playing it and i was like ah you know what maybe in the future when i'm less of an asshole i'll be able to <laughs> be patient enough to stick it out through this un unnecessary tutorial sure that's an inter that's an interesting take yeah, yeah i just i don't know man i couldn't if something can't, this was especially like around the time that I was really enamored with the way Doom started and how it just like Doom just starts and you're immediately like in the action. And this one's just like, this is meet your fellow cat person. This is the inventory. This is how you dodge and jump. And it's like, OK, I, I think uh, I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah, just move on a little bit. Yeah. Time to fire is so important. Doom is really the best at that. And yeah. If a game doesn't have me playing within the first minute, I get really upset sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, me, me too. <laughs> you know, it's like, just let me play the fucking game and then we can... Even if you just let me play and then you pull me back out of it, I just want to, like, try it. Yeah. At the very beginning, see what happens. Number nine, publisher Bethesda and developer ZeniMax Online Studios have revealed that a new major expansion is en route to its popular MMORPG, The Elder Scrolls Online, as revealed on the official website for the game. The expansion is called The Dark Heart of Skyrim and will launch in four segments, with two of them currently announced in full. First up is the Harrowstorm Dungeon Pack, which comes out in February or thereabouts. It depends on the platforms you're on and will include two new dungeons, followed by Greymoor on June 2nd, a full chapter style addition to the game that introduces Western Skyrim to the Elder Scrolls Online, as well as a new main quest storyline, a new system called Antiquities, a new 12 player trial and more. A second dungeon pack and a second story zone will also come out at a later date and will be illuminated more this year. The Elder Scrolls Online originally came to PS4 back in June of 2015, following a successful PC launch in early 2014. Chris, in, a, in an era where Bethesda is really losing its shit, the, this game is one of the bright spots in their ecosystem. Now, I don't play MMO, so it's, it's not something I, I'm familiar with, but people really love this game. And it's going on six years now on PC. So, yeah, must be doing well enough for them to continue to support. And I was happy to see that because I know a lot of people really enjoy it on PlayStation as well. And I think... Maybe I'm wrong. I was going to say, wasn't it on PS3 as well? I don't think it was. I think it was only on PS4. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, but it's also one of those weird things where it's like, I I remember playing Skyrim back in the day and having a bunch of friends. Like, we would, uh, don't ask don't ask who thought of this and why anybody thought it was a good idea, but we would have Skyrim LAN parties. We would literally oh, just bring, bring TVs into this one basement and just, like, play our own separate save of Skyrim together. It made no sense. But... I always I remember back in the day, I always thought like, man, it'd be really cool to like bump into one of these one of my friends in, in Skyrim. That'd be sick. And for some reason, this game came out and I had no no desire to try that. 
it's a little different. Like it, it's yeah, it's definitely more MMO heavy. Yeah, exactly. Like it's and then we got you know you got to be careful what you ask for because then you got Fallout seventy six. Oh, yeah, which was kind of what you wanted, which is not so. in not in a Skyrim or whatever nerdy ass territory these games take place in. So there is that. And then finally, Chris, a wrap up developer 3D Realms has revealed that a remake of the 1999 FPS Kingpin is coming to PS4 later this year <laughs> in the form of Kingpin Reloaded. Did you, did you see this? Did you ever play the original Kingpin? No, I didn't. I didn't play <laughs> Kingpin's it. such a stupid game. I'm actually baffled that this is real. Uh, 3D Realms is we- a fucking weird ass team. So not a surprise. <laughs> That's awesome. Website Gamatsu reports that Load Runner remake Load Runner Legacy is coming to PS4 next week on January 29th. That puzzle platformer Neko Ghost Jump is coming to PS4 at some point later this year. That card-driven RPG Black Book is coming to PS4 later this year. That MMORPG Magic Legends is coming to PS4 in 2021. That horror game Moons of Madness, which looks really cool, has been delayed on PS4 until March 24th. And that action RPG Dead or School is coming to Western PS4s, according to an Amazon UK leak, as relayed by the publication. And finally, Crytek-developed horror FPS Hunt Showdown is coming to PS4 on February 18th, following its launch on both PC and Xbox One in 2019. I'm intrigued by that. Crytek is so hit or miss. It's hard to say what's going to happen with that, but um, yeah. they have it in them. So I'm going to probably play that game when it yeah, comes out. It, looked, it looks cool. I think I got like a key for it a while ago, and I just totally forgot to plug it in, which is super sad. Well, you can now play it on February 18th on your PlayStation 4 Pro if you so desire it. Chris, it's time to get into the new game releases. There aren't so many of them this week, thankfully. And as tradition dictates, you go first. All righty. Uh, up first, Balthazar's Dream. Comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Ooh, look at that. Some love. Mm-hmm. Visit a wonderfully peculiar dog's dream in a heroic attempt to save his owner in his, in this beautiful pixel art puzzle platformer. Balthazar dreams of strange and mysterious lands filled with canine wonders. With a loud bark, Balthazar embarks on a quest to save his owner, venturing through the dreamscape with love and determination, only a dog can possess. I like that. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Dreams of strange and mysterious lands filled with canine wonders. Sounds interesting enough. I like that. It's, it was pleasant, unlike most of the things I have to read. Yeah, you'll have you, you should have some good ones later on. Well, maybe maybe not. Maybe you'll dodge a bullet today. Earth Knight comes to PS4. Earth Knight is an illustrated, procedurally generated platformer that takes place in a dystopian future just after the dragon apocalypse, whatever the fuck that is. Sydney and Stanley have had enough. They've decided to skydive back down to the planet, taking out as many dragons as they can. Jump and dash your way across the backs of dragons on your way down to Earth in classic 2D side-scrolling action. Foxyland 2 comes to PS4 <laughs> and PS Vita. After a peaceful day looking for cherries, Foxy's children were kidnapped by the mean Wolfie brothers. Now it's up to Foxy and Jenny to rescue their children. Jump, leap, and wall kick to bypass enemies in order to reach the end of the stage to rescue Foxy's puppers across the island. Foxy and Jenny? I don't know. All right. (laughs) Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind comes to PS4. Kingdom Hearts 3 tells the story of the power of friendship (laughs) as Sora and his friends embark on a perilous adventure. Remind, the other tale that unfolded during the climax of Kingdom Hearts 3. That's what it just says, by the way. Uh, Through experiencing the personal battles of the seven guardians of light, Sora is about to discover truths that he has never before imagined. He never imagined those truths. Yeah. Yeah. How wonderful. Uh, Lumini comes to PS4, a long forgotten species, a hostile planet and a journey of discovery. Welcome to the world of Lumini. Only the Luminized themselves can restore balance to their homeworld and help revive their long dormant race in this relaxing flow style adventure. Flow style. 
Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Before adapting to preserve the future for generations to come. I liked Flow. Flow was a good game. I think that's what they're referring to, don't you think? I, I, I don't know. It's not capitalized. Yeah, it's not capitalized. I don't. Yeah, maybe not. Flow, of course, is the original that game company PlayStation game. It's the second PlayStation or second that company game. I forget what their first one was called. Cloud, I think something like that. Anyway, Shadow Legend VR comes to PSVR. Shadow Legend is an action adventure game exclusively designed for virtual reality where you play as a grand master of the Knights Templar in a story driven medieval crusade. Freely explore densely filled worlds and use your sword, bow and magic skills to save your kingdom from the destruction of Lord Adaroth. Sounds fun. Sounds fun to yeah. just take place in a VR crusades. Yeah, sure. I always loved a good crusade. Yeah, just. Yeah. Whoa, it's like I'm really throwing the atheists off the mountains. <laughs> How immersive. <laughs> Soccer, tactics and glory come, comes to PS4. It's an original combination of turn based strategy and RPG. Create a football team, play matches, earn XP, train skills, learn new classes, upgrade facilities, buy and sell footballers, grow youth, make hard choices. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, it's a deep strategy with which respects your time. Well, I'm always saying how much I like that. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I mean, you were always saying that the, a lot of these video games or a lot of these... Uh, Sports games are basically turn-based role-playing game, or like you were saying, football is like a turn-based game. Yeah, and it is. So, uh, yeah, these things make a lot of sense, and I mean football, like American football, not soccer. But yeah, this uh, that sounds actually kind of cool. If I had more time, I wish I had time to play some of these smaller games. Yeah. Finally, War Theater: Blood of Winter comes to PS4. From the developers of War Theater comes the next series installment, Blood of Winter. In this free-to-start turn-based strategy RPG, return to Casali. Casali. I don't know how to say that. Where the endless war continues to rage and powerful new forces converge to determine the fate of the country. I think I played the original War Theater on Vita a little bit. I wasn't really into it. It was actually kind of like obtuse, but maybe yeah. maybe this is good. I don't know. But uh, nothing really notable this week for yeah. us. Yeah, I can't really. I can't really say that anything grabbed my eye. That was relatively painless. That was almost too painless. Yeah, I kind of feel uh, I kind of feel what's what's the word? Uh, you can't say gypped anymore, right? No, I, well, you can. You can say whatever you want. You know, I, I don't feel like that. It's about the intent, isn't it? Yeah. yeah You're not sure. like making fun of gypsies when you say gyps. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I agree, but I don't know. Just trying yeah. to keep my head here. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to get uh, you don't want the guillotine. Yeah. Uh, which I think I would be one of the first in the guillotine. So come and get me. All right, Chris, as tradition dictates, we finish our episodes of Sacred Symbols with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience that we haven't already put into the episode from Patreon. We'll begin with Brody Rainey, who says, Hey, CC, I am one of the many gamers along with you guys that feel the font and text in gaming has become way too small. I have terrible vision that even high prescription lenses can only make mediocre at best, so larger text is very important for me when gaming from the couch. I have found a small solution for this on PS4. If you go to the accessibility menu, there is an option to turn on a quick zoom feature. The quick zoom is activated by pressing the PS button and square at the same time. The, uh, the screen will then zoom in substantially on the center, and you can move around and view whatever you like in a larger size. This only works if you enable it in the accessibility menu. This has helped me whenever there's a long description in a game menu, and I don't want to lean forward and squint to read it all. I hope this helps you and some other listeners, too. Chris, you're a blind man. <laughs> Do you, uh, is this something that you're interested in uh, in trying out? No. Brody's I, suggestion? No, I don't. I, don't I, I, I would rather stand up. And walk up to the TV, then admit that I'm too blind to read it. 
Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. You see, I like the I like that Brody wrote in about this because it's cool that there are all these in- accessibility options for people that have what you know whatever disability befell them. But I feel like this is also kind of an excuse making thing for developers because a lot of people say this about button mapping. Like, well, you can technically go remap anything you want by going into the DualShock menu on PS4 and just do it that way. But I'm like, or you could just do it in the fucking game. And so when I see this, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But it would really be nice if you could just read the goddamn text in the game without having to go through these extra hoops yeah. to do that. It would be nice if Brody, as someone with that's kind of challenged with his eyesight, if there was a way for him to better maximize the text on the in the game. It's kind of like I was my dad was here this past weekend for my nephew's birthday and I was making fun of him because he, he uses his, his Android phone. But I swear to God, the text is so big on his phone that it's like three words on the screen at one time. Like he was looking at his text messages and it was like word wrapping and stuff. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. You know, get a hey, grip, man. dad. Hey, man, you got a grip. You got to you got to see. You got to see. That's true. You do have to see. Losing my eyesight's like my greatest fear. One of my greatest fears. Really? Um, oh, yeah. I'm more oh, terrified yeah. of being buried alive. Oh, that's that's all that we must have talked about this right on the show, because that's my greatest fear of all. Yeah. And wh- and why I want to be cremated. I cannot be buried. Make yeah. sure I'm not buried, Chris. It's very, I mean, <laughs> It's such an old school, like old, like medieval kind of fear because like they don't, you're not going to get buried alive now because they cut you open to make sure you're dead. And by then you're, you're definitely dead. Sure. But there's always some weird abstract possibility that I end up in like a coffin and then I can't move my arms. That's the worst part. If I could just like cuddle up and like, I have like, I have like a, a recliner in a box <laughs> underground. Yeah. I don't think I'll worry that much, but you have like a, you have like a, one of those, um, pods, like yeah. moving pods. But it's like it's underground. Yeah, that wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, I, I feel it's I got to be cremated. I want you when I die, I want you to wear some of my ashes in a vial and on a necklace around <laughs> your neck. Yeah, I'll do that. Please. Greg Rygar wrote in. I hope that's your real name because uh, Rygar is like a classic NES game. That's awesome. Hey, fellas, why doesn't Sony make The Last of Us Part 2 a PS5 exclusive at launch? I understand they would be losing sales of the game on the PS4, but why not maximize the amount of people transitioning to the new platform via the the attention this game is receiving? Well, I think because it's just going to be playable on PS5, Greg. And just like they did with PS4's version or the PS3 version of The Last of Us, they might just port it to PS5 and upres it and all of that and sell it again. So, yeah, uh, that's why I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Very excited about this game. Are you are you at all excited about The Last of Us Part 2? I'm looking forward to it. I don't want to get too excited about it because it's, you know, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's another story-based third-person action game from Sony, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I know it's going to be good, but that's just kind of the thing. It's like I, I don't know if it's that exciting that I know it's going to be good. You know, I just have this thing that I'm I'm more curious about it than anything. Sure. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's just going to be a special one. Yeah, but. The, the, it's funny you say that, though, because I think the game can do nothing but meet expectations or disappoint because yeah. it's so I mean, you want we're talking about the hype of cyberpunk. I don't think there's any game on PlayStation more hyped up than this one. Yeah. And for so sure. it's it's a it's a big that's a big ladder to climb for them. And, and if they do it and they deliver a game that's somehow as good or even better than the last the last of us, the last last of us, that's going to be quite the triumph. Really excited about it personally. Yeah, for sure. Micah Tissue wrote into us and said, hello, gentlemen, longtime listener here. I've been following Colin since his earlier days at IGN on Podcast Beyond. First time writing in, however. Well, thank you. 
I'm curious to know your thoughts about pricing for next-gen hardware. If you distance yourself from the hype surrounding these upcoming consoles, and granted, there's much we still don't know, can you determine a price point that you de- that would defer you from buy- or I'm sorry, deter you from buying it at launch? For me, that price is somewhere around $600, assuming the hardware specs, features, and games coalesce to form a compelling whole. Beyond that, I'd have to wait. I seriously doubt that PlayStation 5 will have an unreasonable price point like its notorious predecessor, the PlayStation 3, did. But I thought this made for an interesting hypothetical. Thanks for making the best gaming podcast out there. Thank you so much, Micah, for your kind words. Uh, Chris, what would be the price point of PlayStation 5 that would deter you from buying it? So like the the, the price at which point you'd say, no, nah, I'm not going to buy this. I think anything above $500. I think above 500 is like really kind of asking a lot from anyone, let alone, you know, like I feel like that's a lot. So like I'd imagine that somebody working at fucking Sears who likes to play video games is going to look at that and be like, what the what the fuck? You know, I, that's that's yeah, just, definitely that's too much. I think 500 even is still kind of a lot, but it's one of those things where it's like, ah, you know, I, I, I might save up. But anything above that just feels kind of egregious, even if it might be properly priced, given like what you're getting or the components of the machine and how powerful it is. Uh, it doesn't really matter if something is worth the money as long as as long as it seems like it is. Yeah, I feel like well, that's a great that's a really great point. Very well put, because it could be worth it could be worth a thousand dollars if you feel like you're getting that much out of it. But I think the console can cost no more than five hundred dollars. I don't think it's going to cost any more than that. And I, I think that even if it was. $600 and people felt like it was worth that price. That that price point has such a bad stigma. That specific price point has a really bad stigma in the PlayStation ecosystem from as as uh, as Mike has said yeah. with uh PS3 that you just can't go there. So, I think it can cost no less than 400 and no more than 500 and I think it'll be 500 bucks. And I think by the way that's a perfectly reasonable price because adjusted for inflation that's about what we paid for PS4 and you know, $600 is so much more egregious because that was in 2006 money. So that's like a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, so I think four ninety nine ninety nine is a reasonable price. And if they can get it to three ninety nine ninety nine, that would be fucking bonkers. That'd be awesome. But yeah. I, I doubt they're going to do that. I mean, if they did that, that would be that would be awesome. I mean, that would be awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. But I wouldn't count on it. But yeah, I don't know what would def- yeah, honestly. And I, I hate to be this guy, but I don't think that any price would deter me from buying it at launch. I'm going to have it at launch. Yeah, so. I I kind of feel the same way about any new machine. If I'm being real, like if the next switch comes out and it's egregious, I'll probably get it. Just I just like I just like the feeling of new hardware. And I feel like that feeling is so fleeting. And it's probably especially because it's it. this is like we talked about earlier. This is probably going to be the last time that we get something like this. Um, I'm sure we'll get different skews of PlayStation 5s and probably iterative, stronger variants. Uh, but this is gonna be probably the last time we'll get like a brand new like segmented console generation yeah i think so too i think it's i think when the next refresh or whatever happens after we get a pro and whatever that well else we get from ps5 and a slim and whatever yeah. that yeah I, I don't know that we're gonna have it that's that's a, that's a really good point too chris because we might not like you said this might be the last time for us to experience something that we were we were able to reliably experience every five or six years uh, for much of our lives. So that's also a nice point. But yeah, I don't want to be like that guy, but I- I'm so first of all, this is what we do for a living. So yeah. we need the machines. But also, I don't know. I-, I The only reason I was put off by PS3 being $600 is because I was so poor in college. I think I probably would have bought it if I had the money. Yeah, no, same. I, I think- actually definitely would have bought it <laughs> if I had the money. So. No, yeah, exactly. Same thing. I think um, I just think 
I just want I, I I will do everything in my power to play the games that I want to play in the best scenario that I can play them in. You know, and if there's a machine that's gonna run my shit like way nice, it's like yeah, yeah. There's a machine that's gonna run my Halo game way better. Yeah. There's gonna are we gonna be a machine that lets me play The Last of Us two at three million frames a second. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. Got, gotta have that three million frames a second. <laughs> Very lifelike. It's fucking egregious. I know it's ridiculous. That would be ridiculous. I think even when they talk about getting things at 120 frames, like aren't some games running at that? Like um, uh, Team Fort, not Team Fortress. One of those games. One of those games is running at like an egregious. Yeah, on PC you can run at like 144 hertz, which is uh, you'd think wouldn't be noticeable, but it's it's actually stunningly beautiful. Uh, but I think 60 is totally appropriate. It's totally fine. Like I don't think anybody's going to complain about 60. It's definitely better than 30. I think you notice that immediately whenever you switch between games that run at different frame rates. It's it's really obvious. But yeah, I've become more of a frame. I've become more of a frame rate appreciator. Yeah. In years recent. Yeah. Yeah. Because I never really cared. I always was like, ah, oh, 30 frames is fine. But there there is a there is a difference. There's no doubt about that. But you and I are different in that you I like I like cleaner resolution and texture and you like better frame rates. Yeah, for and sure. We won't have to choose anymore on PS5, but we do have to choose right now on Pro. Yeah. So there we are. Trevor Johnson wrote in, said, hey, Colin and Chris, this question is for Colin regarding your history with writing strategy guides for IGN. I've recently begun playing through Final Fantasy IX and have been frequently frequently referring to the IGN guide to remind me where to go as I've taken frequent breaks. Seeing all the detail and work that goes into these guides, I was wondering if you could share any insight into how they are created. With a game like Final Fantasy IX that has so much content that is optional or can be easily missed, how does the guide writer know when they've included everything? Do you write the guide as you play through the game for the first time, or is it something created over multiple playthroughs? Is any information given to you by the developer to assist in creating a walkthrough? Thank you for all the great content and wishing the both of you a successful 2020. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so I was a strategy guide writer. That's how I got into the industry, and, and it's really a, a special art. And you know what's sad, Chris, is that it's not really happening anymore. We've talked about this in the past, like... Now it's all about and I love power picks and I love PS4 trophies and, and these guys are great, but I'm sick of these videos that you like you have to. It's like, where am I supposed to go next? And it's like, well, watch part 17 of the walkthrough on YouTube. And I'm like, I really don't want to. And I just I maybe I'm just old school, but I feel like the the, the text guide is a dying art and I wish that it wasn't. But every strategy guide is very different. And sometimes we would get content from the developer. Sometimes we would play multiple times. Sometimes we'd play once. And honestly, like sometimes we would use the Brady or Prima guide just to see where we were going and what we were missing because we had no extra access to the game above anyone else. So if we had gone through a game and, and we were missing two side quests or whatever, then we would just go consult the Prima um, like table of contents and that would let us know what we were doing. So yeah. all sorts of different ways to to write and to, to go about these guides. But were you a, a are you were you ever a strategy guide fan? Like I came up on Game Facts like that was my shit. Yeah, like I, I had I had some strategy guides. I, I would always get the books like I, I wasn't really that much of an Internet guy until maybe probably well, I, I think maybe 2004 was when I really started caring about what was on the Internet and really started paying attention. Like I, I would look up cheat codes on like cheats.com. I think I can't remember what the hell the name was. Cheat CC. Oh my was god, no, it was? it was oh my god, I'm trying to remember. Games Radar, I think, had like a cheats a cheat code page that had like everything. And I would do that stuff, but I, I, I do feel like I am one of the people who does watch the videos if ever I get uh, if ever I get fucking lost. Because I find that most people who write guides for stuff lately are just really terrible writers and don't know how to describe things. I'll be like reading a guide. Uh, for something and it'll be like go to the 
find the boulder that looks crimson and it's it's aimed 40 degrees to the north sun and it's like what the f- what are you talking what and then you look at the video and you're like oh that's what i have to do okay it's yeah, weird sometimes the video sometimes the video really illuminates what you're looking for and it is really useful like with boss fights and stuff like that yeah i won't deny that that obviously the market has spoken here but i'm just such a purist and an old schooler where i feel like there's something spoilerish about videos inherently that aren't necessarily in text guides that oh I for sure miss. yeah yeah i would agree with that and it just sucks that it just sucks that there's no it just seems like there's not even for bigger games sometimes there's like no real solution like you know what a really great text guide was for people that haven't played the original bioshock and they want to play it or they want to platinum it on PSTrophies.org, there's an amazing text guide that just tells you everything that's in the game that's collectible or missable like the audio diaries and the plasmids and stuff in order and it's just so succinct and so right on and just and I'm like, this is perfect. But like you're saying, it's it's because it's well written and it's pithy and all of that. And I was certainly not a pithy writer like I was a fucking verbose writer, but it was because I wanted to be really exact. And you're right. A lot of this can just be captured in a video. But nonetheless, I'm very thankful for having that into the industry, which does not exist anymore. So, yeah, uh, I would not be here if not for those. And when I was at IGN, when I got my full time job at IGN in the mornings, I would run IGN cheats. And then in the afternoon, I would write strategy guides. So. And, and we would basically just everyone was just stealing cheats from each other, like GameFAQs <laughs> were stealing them from IGN and IGN was stealing them from CheatCC and et cetera and so on. So um, that's kind of how that went. Yeah, I was I was stealing them from uh, Cheat with Kristen Holt on G4. Oh, interesting. Oh, G4. R.I.P. G4. Yeah, I would say I miss it, but I really don't. And um, what was that? What was that? That that guy, that famous guy, he's still around. Sessler. That was yeah. He he he's a dickhead to me. So yeah, he's insane. He's a, he can especially go fuck himself. <laughs> you know, like he can fuck himself like every way from Sunday. Anastas Lyak wrote in and said, "Howdy, CNC. Wanted to ask you about the rumors that the touchpad on DualShock Five in reality will be a screen. If you look at the leaked pics of the DualShock Five controller, touchpad seems to be without curves like DS4 has." I know that many would say that it is a battery draining gimmick, but I would love to have the HUD parts or HP or map on the controller screen. As most games of this generation have visual noise that takes like 40% of the screen. Slick HUDs are a rarity nowadays. My first instinct about this would be I'd love this, but I don't know. The controller would have to be bigger and bulkier, and and it looks like the DualShock 5 is actually bigger and bulkier. So maybe this is what it is all about, but it would be cool to have like the map or some some sort of visual cue there that would clean up the HUD. That would be nice. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, well, I mean, we had a thing that did this. It was called the Wii U, and it was terrible. Mm. I don't think that the solution to a messy design of a HUD in most games is move the messy HUD onto something else that you have to look away from your screen to see. I think the solution is get better at designing HUDs. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's so difficult about... I feel like games used to have better heads-up displays. I swear to God. And now it's just, like, really noisy. I do agree. It's super noisy. But I also don't want to take my attention off the screen to see where I have to go. Like, there's some games where I could see that being cool. I can imagine that being kind of cool in, like, a... A Skyrim kind of game where you're, you know, you're looking down at your map, I guess. But I don't know. I I feel like I would just rather have a normal controller that isn't flashing, you know, images in my face from below the screen. It just feels like it would be distracting. And it would also exacerbate the issue that the light bar already had where you'd have this annoying flash on the screen or this annoying like blur on the screen because your controller would be <laughs> half the game is on it. 
I don't know. Yeah, it might be a solution that we think we want that wouldn't actually pan out. To a lesser extent, it reminds me of the the idea that Shadowfall and other early games on PS4 did with the audio diaries where they would play through the controller. And that sounds like a really cool idea. But like immediately when it happened, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This this isn't going to work for me. And so, yeah, maybe we're looking for solutions in different ways. And like you said, maybe a more elegant approach to HUD creation and just design would be nice because it reminds me a lot of what we talk about with like perfect control schemes where some shooters just get feel so good that it's like, why would anyone make a shooter control scheme that doesn't work like this? Like X is jump and circle is crouch and all of this kind of stuff. And square is reload. Like that's just the way it works. And so I think that a lot of the HUD distraction and the noise comes from the fact that people are trying to be too cute by half. And it's like, just replicate what already works. Just stop trying to reinvent the wheel. And so maybe that's going to be a problem. And also, I'll say that, yeah, the battery life would be a real problem on, on DualShock 5 with this because battery life is kind of already a problem on DualShock 4. I was when I was playing Dead Space on PS3, the controller like refused to die. I would like plug it in every couple hours and it didn't need to be plugged in at all like yeah. ever. And I'm not saying that we want to go back to the DualShock 3, which is a really inferior controller. But the point is, is that I don't know that we need too many more bells and whistles and we're going to get these extra buttons on the back now and. And all this. So, yeah, I don't you're probably right. I don't, I don't know that this is really what we want, but for there to be a, an option to have some sort of display on the controller would be neat. But then I wonder, like, why not make the controller like a Vita? Yeah, that's and the just thing. Ha- and, and, and then it becomes a switch and then you just have what's already existing. Yeah, so. that's the thing. It's like you're always if you add a screen onto the DualShock 4, you're doing a half step to the switch. You're doing what the Wii U did, which is like this unnecessary kind of like middle step between the Wii and the switch. And it's like I get why it's there. But then to repeat that after you already know how that went just seems relatively unwise. I think in any situation, in any way that you could describe this scenario or, or any way that you could write this story, people are going to be like, there's a screen on the, the controller. The controller has battery that lasts this long. If the screen wasn't there, it would last way longer. Why doesn't my controller last longer? And I feel like yeah, people they're are not gonna, they're going to be able to win regardless yeah. of what they do here. It's a lose lose with that, I think. Yeah, I'll be really interested. I mean, I'm I'm much more interested in the DualShock 5 and what it looks like than the, the console itself. The console, as I've said before, can be a fucking, you know, cardboard box for all I care. Yeah. But the, the controller, yeah, it's going to be really important. And it does, the pictures that the leak of it do look a little bulkier. So that's got to be for a reason, but it could just be because of the buttons on the back. Uh, I don't I don't really know. Finally, Chris Benjamin Sharp wrote in and said, Greetings, Colin, Big Pussy Moriarty and Christopher Moltisanti <laughs> Raygun. Of course, this is a Sopranos reference. First time, long time. Sacred Symbols and Knockback are two of the best podcasts going, and Sacred Symbols in particular has actually made it more difficult to listen to lesser gaming podcasts that don't seem as professional. That's not the word I expected (laughs) at the end of that (laughs) sentence. Professional? I don't know that we are as professional, but thank you. Yeah, maybe not. But we're, we're certainly better than other gaming podcasts. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I was listening to you two talk about Final Fantasy VII, and it reminded me of the spinoff prequel, Crisis Core, which lived on PSP. It baffles me. That's Chris's word. That Crisis Core has never been ported or remastered, given its quality and fan base. I'm curious if there's any games trapped in the past or on specific platforms that seem like no-brainers to you. Uh, and he says he also wants Legend of Dragoon. You guys need to give the ghost up. Although, Blue Point seems to be teasing a Legend of Dragoon remake. I don't know if that's if they're just being dickheads, but who knows? I'm sick of fucking talking about their tweets, so I'm just not going to anymore. <laughs> it's an interesting question, Chris, because Crisis Core was actually really good. A uh, really good game. And... It was emotional and interesting, and it's about Zack, which is like Cloud's friend in, in Final Fantasy VII. And 
it is a little weird that they haven't ported it or brought it to the new consoles. But you know what's why I wanted to bring this up, Chris, is because the rumors about backwards compatibility suggest that PSP games might be playable on PS5. And if that's true, which I don't think it is, but if I mean, certainly not from UMD, but maybe digitally. But if that's true, then we'll get to dive back into this this kind of deceased platform that has a lot of these games isolated on it. And we won't have to worry about this anymore. But Crisis Core certainly is one of those games from PSP that I, I would have loved to see ported or remade at some point. But you're a big PSP fan. Are there any games on that platform that you would like to see, say, on PlayStation 5? Yeah, I mean, I genuinely think that Wipeout Pure is the best Wipeout game, and it's stranded on PSP. And that's such a shame because it's like the cleanest one. It's It's got like the the sleekest HUD design. It's It's the least noisy. It's just such a good game. And it's a shame that it's stuck on that because I've I've been itching to play that for years, and I don't have a PSP that works, and I'm not going to buy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. No. Uh, no. 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 I've already got enough shit. But yeah, man. I don't know. I I, I doubt that that PSP rumor is true. Uh, that would be amazing. But uh, yeah, man. I don't know. I, I the PSP is so long ago. I love that thing, but. Yeah, it was I'm, great. It was a great handheld. Yeah, awesome. I, don't, I don't think I'm clamoring for anything specifically from the... What, what was the UMD called? What did that stand for? Universal Media Disc, I think. That's pretty ironic because it's super proprietary and not universal at all. Yeah, when you think about all the so- weird Sony shit, a lot of it is proprietary. And they try like with the mini disc and all this stuff, they tried... And the memory card on Vita, they yeah. tried like so many different times to just do things to make extra money. And they really could have just taken the, the path of least resistance and not been fucking weird about it. But... They want to make that money. And, and really, almost, I think Blue, they made Blu-ray, right? So so one of these things succeeded, yeah. I guess. But they threw a lot of darts at the board and missed. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, it's funny. The PSP thing with that rumor, when I, when I read that, I'm like, that's what made me not believe the rumor. It's very similar to this PS5. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but this PS5 launch rumor about the games that are going to be available at launch. And one of them was MLB The Show 21. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, that would why would they release MLB The Show in November? They've never done that ever. Yeah. That gives them no time to finish the game. It's not, you know, the so I, I don't I don't. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll be and everyone be like, you're a fucking idiot. But um, that's kind of the uh, the way I see it. So, yeah, I don't believe that PSP rumor. That would be pretty bonkers. That would be the biggest surprise of all. That would be that would be even bigger than them getting PS3 to work. Yeah. Which I'm not at all confident in. So we will see. I'm hopeful. Well, we might learn more soon. I mean, every time we wrap up one of these episodes now, it's entirely possible that the next episode will be about the PlayStation 5. So, yeah, it's just that time of year. Exciting. So it's very exciting. Chris Montes- Maltesanti Raygun. <laughs> now, that's all we have for this episode of Sacred Symbols. We appreciate your love, your kindness, your support. Remember to go to patreon.com slash Collins last stand if you want to support us there and you can afford to do so for early ad free access to the show. Your name in the credits. The ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, exclusive access to Sacred Symbols, plus our weekly supplemental podcast, and much more. We appreciate your love and your kindness, generosity, all of this. Chris, do you have any closing comments before we go? I'm just looking forward to actually getting, being able to play video games again, because I feel like I've been so busy and like not home for so long that I just haven't really had a chance to dive into anything really. Like I've been playing Witcher, but it's always been like in the middle of like all this other shit. But I've uh, I've got everything sort of sort of tapered down. I've got everything uh, honed down to a nice a nice fine formula now. Yeah, you're just settling back in. So yeah. you're gonna give yourself a little bit of time. All right. Well, we'll see all of you next time for episode 83, and obviously on Sacred Symbols Plus 25. Until then, be good. Bye. Take care, guys.
Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Joe Arch, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Fickenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanam El Ghanam, Tyler Goodwin, Hayden Gorringe, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mike Naffo, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Baranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George A. Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R. Ryan Reeves, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rode, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Gregory Slavinsky, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Dylan Wagner, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Bloody Fang, Galjug, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Lockmort, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Boots, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craft Heads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk of Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, and Rainick. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.